Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Conspiranormal. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is, I guess, technically the last show of 2020, and we're glad to have it done. Um, and Serfiel is okay. He is among the living. He had uh, he had COVID. So, how you doing? I'm doing a whole lot better. Just uh, getting back to having some energy and um, getting back to life. Yeah. So, which of your new thought affirmations was the key to uh, heal you? Every day and every way, I am getting better and better. <laughs> and as you guys can hear on the line and it's uh, become a tradition now i think we've done this for like the last at least four years maybe five dr future is joining us for the end of the year episode hello dr future hey what's the word thunderbird so dr future is back it's the it's the uh the end of the year and uh we always like to have dr future to help what is it? What's the phrase? Uh, ring out the old and bring in the new. So, you know, one uh, of these days it will be the very last episode any humanity hears because it'll bring the apocalypse. <laughs> the last thing humanity ever hears is my voice. <laughs> you know, Apophis, Apophis, or whatever that thing is, is coming. I guess you, you hear that from Tom Horn. Yeah, yeah, I did hear that. When is that, when is that supposed to happen? Well, it's supposed to happen in 2019. Or 29, 20, 2029, I'm getting confused. You know, Blood Moon Raptures, there's so many of them that have come and gone. But yes. if you count three and a half years back, before that, on the Feast of Trumpets, it's three and a half years, which is when all of the conservatives disappear, it, uh, caught up in the air. Oh, okay. Whatever will we do without them? And then, <laughs> and then just Democrats will go through the great tribulation period yeah they'll, they'll, they'll just be burning in like eternal hell eternal hellfire right it'll just be one massive like be one massive orgy that's what's gonna happen what's they'll the... be indiscernible from the demons that appear <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so something we're gonna talk about tonight mike and uh we're just really using this kind of like as a springboard but uh, it's gonna. We're talk about some of this, the research you did into hydroxychloroquine, which um, Sophie L and I were talking before the show, and really, like, I've not heard very much about it recently. I think it's been probably at least you wrote this blog post back in September. 
And I think it's probably around about that same time that I can remember it even being like a big thing. But like this was a huge, huge talking point for a little while. Right. It was the front line of all of the terrible people that are trying to end wonderful society by resisting hydroxychloroquine on all the conservative and Christian talk. This was a sign that everyone else who were skeptics mm-hmm. were just demonic because they weren't embracing God's gift to humanity. And just like the different prophecy dates that come and go, and you know, your listeners know I'm a person of faith, so I'm not taking cheap shots against believers or whatever, but like all the prophecy dates that come and go, everybody's really gung-ho and certain until it passes and it's nothing, and then everybody pretends like nothing happened. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like when I went to, I went to uh, a service once by accident, uh, replacing my brother, uh, with some friends and wanted me to go to an old-fashioned church revival service. And these people I thought were like Mennonites or somebody really, really conservative, you know, and how they carried themselves. Well, it turned out it was a really rocking and rolling apostolic church. And these conservative kids I knew, very you know, conservatively dressed, were rolling down the aisles, and they started foaming at the mouth. And they grabbed all of us in the front row and tried to pray us through. And all these people I knew were kicking on the floor and rolling around. And they were trying to give that to me, too. And then we had a big argument between me and all of the pastors. And here I was a visitor up in front. I was like a 16-year-old <laughs> having a theological debate in front of everybody in the audience, seven or eight pastors. But everybody, <laughs> people were jumping through the orchestra pit and everything like that. And it just it went on for hours of total mayhem. Was this like the scene in the Blues Brothers with like <laughs> James Brown is, is singing and like guys are flying in the air? Well, sort of. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it was mayhem. And then like I asked them some questions, you know, they said, well, you're not talking in tongues. So you're not saved. And I said, yes, I am saved. And they, I said, by the way, nobody's interpreting tongues here. You know, I said this in front of the church. I said, you're supposed to have interpretation of tongues. And they said, well, this is not the kind of that kind of tongues. And I said, well, that's the kind of tongues that God gives. And so we had like a big face off. And then some lady who was laying flat in the middle of the aisle, just leaned up all of a sudden and all of the screaming going on. And she says, it's time for choir practice. And everybody just got up off the floor and quietly filed into the choir loft. And then everybody dispersed. And I just went home silently with this family I rode with. And I sort of feel like that's the way these things are. Everything's like a big furor until suddenly the, the t- day passes and everybody acts like they didn't hear it. You, mm. me- you remember the blood moon raptures. You remember how for sure that was? I remember right. people at our church saying, well, oh, this is the real one. This is the big one that's coming. This is going to happen. And then the day it's over, nobody's around. And that's what I think the hydroxychloroquine and what came after it. It was the thing that was the battleground to prove the people who are real and the people were not. And when the day went with it and overwhelming evidence shown that it was a charade, suddenly it would no longer the conversation. And I mean, you can go all the way back to the Millerites, you know, 1840, you know, they all went on that mountain waiting for Jesus to come. And when he didn't, all they had to do was just contort the narrative a little bit and everybody went back to their business. I feel like there's some cognitive dissonance there, too, as to whether a lot of the people who are pushing this also were disputing the deadly nature of this pandemic at the same time. So it's like, do people really need it? 
I thought you're saying that it's not a big deal, but then because we're, uh, you know, because people are skeptical of this drug, those people are evil because it's, it's needed for some reason, even though you don't believe in the deadly nature of the, uh, what's going on. So that, that that's kind of weird. The only thing that mattered was whatever the messianic figure recommended. And that's why I compare a lot of the Trump followers to the Manson girls during, during like the Manson trial. You know, Manson would come out and he would carve an X into his forehead. And then suddenly the Manson girls would carve an X into their forehead. And mm-hmm. today what the Messianic leader does is he'll say in the middle of a deadly pandemic, well, you don't need a mask. You know, it doesn't look good on me. I, like you said, I can't see myself sitting behind the Lincoln desk wearing a mask, as he said. It just doesn't look good. And so suddenly they have to backfit a rationale of why masks don't do any good. And the same people that pushed hydroxychloroquine were also the ones that said masks were useless and were no good. So they so, had to go backfit a rationale for the messianic leader. It, it really reached its kind of high point with this whole um, America's frontline doctors thing, which I think that we talked about on the show at that time. And so it reaches, it kind of reaches its like real kind of crescendo then. Right. Okay. And I mean, at the time, this was like a big, big deal. I remember people were posting it on the internet a lot. Facebook with our YouTube and stuff would take down, would take it down. Breitbart was covering it. It was clearly like this whole like big setup, you know, and it looked like it looked like a big setup to begin with. The basic nature was that. In trying to sell conspiracy, which is all people sell now, not stuff that's legitimate stuff that you wonder about in the past, like the Kennedy assassination or, you know, other things that are legitimately you're trying to decipher everything. Every single act has to be considered a conspiracy now, because when people start using reason and they have a hard time battling reason, then they have to go back to conspiracy. And the conspiracy was was that this whole COVID thing was a manufactured, like like Trump said, it was a Democratic hoax back in February when he was talking about this. People are dropping dead like flies, and so they've got to come up with something. So basically, the, the conspiracy was the Democrats and you know everybody else in the world were coming up with this as a conspiracy to make Donald Trump look bad. And in fact, all the people were cooperating by dying in mass is part of the conspiracy to help Donald Trump look bad. And so it's good that everybody got on board there. They did. Know? Even with the toe tags, they did yeah. that to, yeah. to really make him look bad. And so the conspiracy was, there were simple solutions. And, and one thing that could not be tolerated is put a piece of cloth on your face. That is just too outrageous to expect people to put a piece of cloth on their face, you know, or not get shoulder to shoulder. And so, the only way to justify that and gathering in large gathering without mask is to say, oh, we've got this uh, patent medicine, this home remedy on the shelf. And of course, you can't believe anybody who has any kind of real credentials in medicine because we all know they're all in the conspiracies too. probably your your home family doctor that delivered you and delivered your parents. He's part of the conspiracy. He or she. 
anybody, you know, your your beat well, policeman know, down on the street corner. Birth is just the ultimate conspiracy. I mean, you know. Right. Well, <laughs> and the, all they were doing was waiting for this time. They've been planning generations to oh. pull this big thing, and it was all based on they could foresee a Donald Trump would come, and to make him look bad, they made a fake, uh, you know, killer virus around the world just to make him look bad to stop his winning. And and so this home remedy, this patent medicine, was something that was a rabbit out of the hat that he could say he came up with that would show that everybody else was part of a conspiracy and was wrong. And what I did was on my my blog, The Two Spies Report, which people can go to at Two Spies Report, S-P-I-E-S, dot wordpress.com, uh, I have two extremely long blog posts that cover the um, dimensions of this. This is what we're talking about tonight. The, the top one, the most recent one, talks about who, what country I found was behind this push for hydroxychloroquine and why they were so motivated to. The one prior, the earlier one, would be down below that. And it really gets into who were the American organizations that had a vested motive in getting behind America's frontline doctors. And the person I have to blame for wasting all of my time to get into this instead of writing this next book is one of the hosts of this show. And I'm not going to name names, but he, uh, it begins with an A, but I'm not going to give any more out. But it's a mystery. <laughs> he was the one who sent me this video, and we'll get into this uh, showing these America frontline doctors and asking what I thought about it. And that just sent me into an abyss. It was like a, a red pill was just shoved up my nose. Let me make the, let me make the point too that it was being touted as a miracle drug, so that it was the it was the cure all for covid and since it was that we could go ahead and just open up and the and there wouldn't be we have the miracle drug the miracle cure because this was happening right as states were beginning to open back up and resistance to it equals uh people trying to actively destroy the economy which is another conspiracy narrative of all this well as i document in my blog post and there's a there's a chain of you know reports from the people who tell on themselves you had um uh you had freedom works which is the astroturf organization of the tea party you had the council on national policy which is a group i don't hear about much but everybody always asks me about them they were clearly in the middle of this to the, mm-hmm. to the fact that when i called a phone number about uh, hydroxychloroquine, I was sent to the CNP people uh, to get the information. But but what these different organizations said w- were was that this is going to harm Donald Trump in the election if the economy is not reopened, because the only thing that he can tout in his whole time is that he has a good economy. And so you're taking away his main thing if it's down. So they needed a golden bullet. Nobody knew about when a vaccine would be out. Plus, they have all these pesky things like trials and studies, and people have to take things for a couple months to see if they die from it. And there was no time for any of that. So they needed a golden bullet. And so you have a confluence. Also, too, it makes all of the respected institutions look bad, like Dr. Fauci, the CDC, all these other groups are all in cahoots uh, 
They, all they have cared about their entire career of spending 50, 60 years in a career was planning the day when Donald Trump would be president so they could focus all their energy on destroying him. And so it would make them look bad. Like, what are they trying to do? This legitimate science, you know, and pushing vaccines when this miracle drug for pennies that they didn't know why it worked and they didn't care. It just fell us guys. So you see, it solved a whole bunch of people's problems mm -hmm. and, and it, it made their opponents look bad, made them look great. It was timely. And as I get into my second blog post, the most recent one, there was an, even an international player who played a key role in actually providing the goods and being the pusher of the product. And the other things that I show in there, why it started to disappear was all of the lengthy peer review studies and not the anecdotal stuff of a doctor who says, I gave it to 10 of my patients and none of them died. Like that was the definitive answer for 330 Americans. But when they started doing lengthy studies uh, all over the world, including France, I think at Belgium, if I remember right, but Israel in particular, all of them started finding, one, there was no help, and two, they started having all sorts of major like heart problems, other things that came with it. And um, so, you know, that was part of it. But I, I do need to be fair to the host whose begins name begins with A. Uh, the video he sent me was part of the trigger for me to go into this. Another one was uh, somebody else who's a fellow podcaster, uh, a new gentleman to me that I was on his show, really like Julian Charles uh, and his show. Um, the Mind Renewed. The, the Mind Renewed. I, I just, I'm old. I forget stuff on here, people. Check my blog to check what I say. Um, but in The Mind Renewed, uh, this Dr. Celine Gold, who was the main spokesman for America's Frontline Doctors, was the guest right before me. And I didn't know anything about his show, so I just went on to sort of see the nature of what the show was like, what he was like. It was an intriguing show to me. I'd listened to the interview. I listened to her promoting hydroxychloroquine and how all of the medical establishment was part of a big, vast conspiracy uh, to stop this coming out. And I was intrigued by it. And then I saw this video, and sure enough, here she is on it. So I was prodded to sort of go off into this. And between those two postings I do, which are extremely long, to my satisfaction, I sort of felt like I got a feel of what this was all about. And it's just a microcosm of other stuff that's going on right now. I mean, it's it's a basically a prototype of these things that are underway. And so anyway, th those were sort of the, tr the triggers of what I got involved in this. So Dr. Simone Gold... That was, I mean, like you said, that was the trigger to, and so, I mean, do we want to talk about, I mean, talk about her specifically and I guess her ties to like the AAPS? Well, you know, I think you originally, I believe, wanted to ask me about the AAPS, which is really more of a chronological yeah. uh, thing. And I think it's probably good to start there from the fact that, okay. It sets the tone of yeah. the kind of crowd we're dealing with. And that's the whole thing we need to be looking for is do we see hints of the nature of the crowd we're dealing with? So then they can anticipate, we can anticipate stuff we hear from them and where it's going to go. So if you want, I can give you a little primer 
on the main organization that got behind her and America's Frontline Doctor. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk about that. Yeah, the, this uh, organization uh, was founded all the way back in 1944. And on my blog, which I want to reiterate to the listeners here, if I say something wrong or go too far and I say something about a person or whatever, my disclaimer is check my blog because I have all of the references and they're linked to all of the source materials to make sure I get it accurate. I don't want to misspeak against somebody or go too far. So my memory is foggy. But but go there to, to check out if you find this interesting. But anyway, I start with a 1944 article in Time magazine which talks about this new organization just formed then that already had members in 48 states. And it was called the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, or the AAPS, which sounds very, very prestigious. I mean, you, I mean, that yeah. sounds like a very distinguished group, the American, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. You know, th this is a group of people who would probably be considered more prestigious and trustworthy than even clergy. Yeah, it sounds like it would represent uh, the, the majority of physicians and surgeons. Certainly respected, dignified people. Uh, and in this article, they made their claim that their, their goal of the organization was to defeat any government group medicine. And the reason they, they got together then was there was something called the Wagner-Murray-Dingle bill, that was in congressional committees. Uh, and by the way, this Dingle guy was his wife is still in Congress today. Um, he married somebody quite a bit younger than him, and she's still there. Here was 1944. But um, the, the horrible thing that they were trying to do was that they were proposing government medical insurance for most U.S. citizens. And so you could just only imagine the horror of having all Americans having access to health care, you know, to, to prevent expensive diseases and emergency room visits, uh, you know, not be wiped out permanently by catastrophic life-threatening illnesses. Uh, you know, that's what Lennon, that's what Lennon wanted too, Mike. Yeah. Is that right? <laughs> so that they wouldn't have Installing. to declare, bank, declare and bankruptcy Khrushchev and, Bresh and things. And right. Brezhnev. Right. Oh. You know, and what the impact of providing that kind of mercy and the basic dignity to not ruin a common person, you know, because of some unavoidable health misfortune. I mean, what effect could that have on the excess profits of the financial wealth class? So you could see why they had to put a stop to that. But um, this organization still exists today, and they have been active all along the way basically trying to provide some modicum of respectability, like there's some kind of endorsement of a portion of the medical society for what are blatant extreme political positions. And that seems to be their purpose. Like, for example, in 1965, the New York Times was reporting that the same AAPS had urged its, they had 16,500 members then, not to get involved in Medicare. And they hoped they were able to stop Medicare, which was at the, right at the time. That was when Johnson was proposing it. And I think about how many Christian seniors these days behind all of this hydroxychloroquine that are all using Medicare and would have no health insurance at all without it. But these are the guys that they support in their political movement. We're trying to put a stop to this. And it, in, in more importantly, in 1966, the New York Times uh, ported out that 
the same organization, uh, the AAPS, the leadership were all members of the John Birch Society. And this is something that hadn't been exposed. In fact, I did a little research and found some of the uh, original web pages for uh, uh, one of their leaders, Paul Lightheart, who had been the president of the organization. And it shows in, in a separate site I found on the John Birch website that um, he was a chapter leader. And this was in like within two years after they founded the John Birch Society, um, as well as having been a past president of the AAPS. And it turns out that they have been involved for a long time. I'm assuming most of your listeners are familiar with the John Birch Society, but they're the kings of the hard right conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about them a few times with you and with the recluse as well. Yeah. They were able to expose uh, Supreme Court Justice Earl Warren as just a closet communist. Mm-hmm. That he was really a communist as well as Martin Luther King. And I think you have actually watched a documentary with me that was hosted by... Um, um, G. Edward Griffin. G. Edward Griffin, yeah, yeah, who was the main spokesman for the John Birch. We also watched some of their film strips. Their film strips, too. But they exposed that the entire... Uh, the entire civil rights movement from Martin Luther King down was nothing, no more than a communist front. The whole civil rights movement. Eisenhower was a communist. Right. And that they were going to, the, the communists were going to form the United Negro Soviet Republic, including <laughs> Tennessee here. Where oh, yeah. They would actually, uh, you know, uh, the black community would actually run the entire South under the Russians itself. So this was the kind of stuff they exposed. And their leaders were the leaders of uh, this particular organization as well, too. Uh, And, you know, the people that they did attract over the years to join them were people like Rand Paul. Dr. Rand Paul, the senator, was a proud member of this same organization, and so was his dad, Ron Paul. And and just a little bit of trivia, I I ran across this when you uh, read your your article robert welch jr who was the pretty much the organizer the guy in john birch society he's the same he founded the oxford sugar company and he was responsible for giving us sugar daddies sugar babies and junior mints so every time at the movie theater when you buy that you're personally (laughs) underwriting extreme right causes every time you open one of those boxes up I think, I don't know if Juju bees or not. I don't know. I can't say. <laughs> You'd have to ask Recluse about that if he has studied Juju bees and if that's a part of it or not. Or hot tamales. I don't I know just about hot to, tamales either. I just want to insert that, you know, well before the internet, the John Birch Society really pioneered the, the viral spread of really extremist ideas and memes on a local decentralized level. And they really went after school boards and, you know, it was just, it was really pioneering for this type of uh, the spread of these, this inform this information, these narratives, you know, way before we'd have things like the internet. I mean, they, they did real damage, um, you know, way before, you know, that wacko hard left new age, Southern California was the hotbed for the John Birch society. And it still is. And what they found was before the internet in these other means, their secret weapon to disseminate their information was through housewives. Yes. Housewives would become the most vehement supporters 
of their extreme message. And they would arrange these coffees and teas at their homes where they would get John Birch Society materials. And some of the film strips that I found where they have like the little beep and you focus to the next one on the record player. Um, you can get those at archive.org. And when Adam was over, we watched some of them. And they're, yeah, they're you interesting. Know, yeah. Looking over 50 years in arrears, they're pretty amazing, but they're still around now. And as you would expect, they're ha fighting hard against any of the protections against the COVID. Uh, they're very strongly against the vaccine, any kind of shutdowns. I said, don't let them see your phones. We can see who you spread COVID to. And so they're still fighting the same battle uh, right now. You know, uh, Fauci and Gates are all globalist, international villains. Uh, it's all part of the Illuminati uh, doing this kind of thing. So that's still what they're doing right now. But um, when you look at this organization that really basically provided the um, underpinnings for the America's frontline doctors and hydroxychloroquine, they eventually established their own pseudo medical journal, which was called the Medical Sentinel. Eventually, it was changed to the Journal of American Physicians and Surgeons. Now, most medical journals are pretty boring uh, things. You know, they have data. You know, they use terminology that only med medical experts would understand. They use peer-reviewed sets of double-blind data trials. You know, they look at different institutes, and they compare their data and what they found. They try to isolate, like, what true causation versus just noise or correlation. But their journal was totally different. It was more like a, a political uh, journal under yeah. the guise of being a respected medical journal, which all their terminology and terms were all just basically the things you would read on Facebook, basically. Uh, but it was meant because these people, you know, you, they'd find a few rogue people that had a, a doctor or something like that, a credential to try to give some kind of credibility to the stuff like, um, some of the things that they really got behind. I'll just give you, here's the kind of terminology I found. Here's a 1999 paper I grabbed from some uh, MD. And this is in you know, a doctor's medical journal, okay? Uh, the, the paper is called Conspiracy, Part 3. And it says, uh, unconstitutional and thus illegal activities in medicine and all facets of our lives have trampled on and outlawed our God-endowed freedom and liberty. And that much of the absurd nonsense passed as liberal arts curriculum in institutions of both lower education and higher learning, blindly accepted as enlightened intellectualism, in opposition to old fogey, common, everyday horse sense by a population that's been deceived and brainwashed to believing the hoax that there are no moral values, right and wrong, absolute truth, marriage fidelity, oaths, sanctity of human life, scripture, like progressive revelation, ethics, integrity, all things are relative, we're told, and must be interpreted scientifically. And then he talks about, this is in a medical journal, okay? Yeah, that what that has to do with medical science. Right, right, that there is a triune creator, sovereign of the universe, who rules in the affairs of men, gets in the way of proponents of humanist religion. He must be labeled a myth. It must be expurged. God is a hoax. And it goes on and on. I think you get the gist of it. Yeah. But basically, this is the kind of material that they would try to say, well, look, this has all been in medical journals.
<laughs> and this is the kind of medical journals. Uh, one of the ones I found from 2007 uh, journal, their medical journal, another PhD in there, uh, says that there's a real doubt whether HIV causes AIDS. And he goes on to say that without, you know, giving really hard information, uh, but this, th these uh, writings that he did uh, was used by the president, uh, Thibo Mbeki of South Africa to put skepticism in Africa that HIV had anything to do with AIDS. And so as I went through more and more of these uh, articles they had, of course, they fought against uh, tobacco causing uh, cancer. This is the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons saying that tobacco didn't have anything. It was taking away people's freedom to smoke. Um, they um, used people like this Michael Fomento who defended pesticide use while he was getting Monsanto money uh, at the time. Um, they fight uh, any effect of atmospheric climate change at all. They say, actually, it would be better if we dumped more uh, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere because the, if the warming trend, we need to get the temperature way, way up in the world, and we need to use more fossil fuels to do it mm -hmm. because it will improve the health, longevity, prosperity, and productivity of all people. Just like cigarettes. It, yes. So. Well, that's their, at least they're consistent. It's cigarettes for the, for the, for the planet. Right. Any restrictions on extreme guns, they said, is not good, that there doesn't be any limitations on the proliferation. You know, I can see many medical people agreeing, you know, particularly that work in emergency rooms around the country, that they would want to see more guns proliferate. The best one, the best one that I read there, Mike, in your article was um, asbestos. Yes. They were promoting oh. asbestos use because <laughs> the Twin Towers would not have fallen down. If we had promoted more asbestos use. <laughs> now, I think that's some sound medical device by some expert advice by some experts, you know, in fact, probably who cares about mesothelioma? It's well, not... yeah, I think you need to have vaporizers <laughs> at home just full of asbestos dust just for your own health sake. <laughs> but now guys like Lou Dobbs quotes this stuff because they were generating information that he was quoting from that, um, Leprosy was increasing because of immigrants, that there was this big explosion in leprosy in the U.S. Yeah, I remember that coming on. I remember that being on uh, talk radio. I remember hearing that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. So this is the kind of stuff that they have been regularly promoting. One of my favorite ones they did was about how um, Obama was actually a hypnotist out of yes. the, in this medical journal. Again, remember, these are the people who are the main promoters of hydroxychloroquine and that he was actually a hypnotist because there was no way any of his other, you know, abilities could have been supported by people. It had to be hypnotism. And in fact, the O in the symbol of the Obama campaign. Yes. I just told Adam that. Yeah. It represented a uh, crystal ball, mm -hmm. which, you know, I'm satisfied. That's enough information for me right now. <laughs> that an O does look like a crystal ball. So, you know, I'm glad that these experts have been able. And so I want to stick stuff into my body based upon these kind of experts. Well, see, it just, it just, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to use this word. It just seemed to me like when I was reading this, that these guys are just, they're just whores. 
they'll just whoever pays them they'll write it they'll write about it in a glowing way right you know they just prostitute themselves out and edward bernays used to get these ad hoc groups of physicians saying that smoking was good it would help you lose weight you know they got the women out there who wouldn't smoke they got them using liberty torches and marching, and they would form these ad hoc associations and send out press releases, and papers were starved for information to report on. And so, yeah, they would run all this kind of stuff. Now, am I to say that anybody who's technical or anybody in medicine, you should just disbelieve everybody? Of course, skepticism is a good idea, period. Yeah. But there are people who have spent decades and decades of their career working in peer-reviewed stuff, working long hours, you know, going through trying to earn their credentials, earn a respect of people, long history of success stories. Maybe they should get a little bit more of our attention than somebody who falls out of the sky. Yeah. Like these kind of folk that suddenly has a wonder pill. Yeah. For everybody. I'm I'm just saying, you know. Well, you show how these these how this is related to these other conspiracies that challenge the um you know, majority scientific opinions and that if you really look behind most of these, these scientists with these minority opinions, you're probably going to find some kind of organized effort um, behind that. Right. Somebody has an agenda. You know, I dealt with that personally when in my career uh, where I had my doctorate in, in uh, combustion science, mechanical engineering uh, in solving the problem with developing fire and explosion chemicals to meet uh, the ozone laws, the global ozone laws, and uh, global warming. And it was a big thing. It was a global problem. I worked with international scientists to try to solve it. You had respectable companies like 3M, DuPont, others. You know, obviously they were there to make money and do their own thing. But you had these people fall out of the woodwork, out of just far-flung places, and had some wonder gadget. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I've developed my own wonder gadgets and had to fight to get it tested. But at least I had real credentials. I really had been published in journals. My stuff had been peer-reviewed. My, you know, I'd paid my dues. Mm-hmm. But these people dropped out of nowhere, and it was just exactly what we see with this, like you were referring to, Sergio. The These people, you had to look to find out who's bankrolling it. And sometimes it was some guys from Israel I ran into, sometimes from Russia, other kind of places. They would use their um, ambassadors to put pressure on our government, and then they would come down on me where I would have to test it and verify it. Uh, One of these wonder products uh, came about, and because I tested it and gave an unbiased review, uh, one of the proponents, who was a guy who was about three times the size of me, uh, grabbed me and was going to punch my lights out at lunchtime at a conference before somebody stopped him, right? And he was swinging back to hit me. You know, that's the crazy stuff that goes on when there's a lot of money at stake. Mm-hmm. And eventually the cream rose to the top. But in the wild west days, when there was gold in them, their hills, people came out of everywhere and used all sorts of political pressure to try to have something that, you know, I could tell them had dubious science behind it, but I would have to spend lots of taxpayer money to prove it. And that's the same thing. I'm, I'm it's like deja vu when I see this stuff going on. They don't want to go through proper channels. They don't want to have independent people review it, which anything of real veracity will pass through. And so they resort to conspiracy theories. I heard all sorts of conspiracy theories 
when we were doing our work to develop these solutions for aviation and things and oh it's some they're in cahoots they don't want us to be involved and blah 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 and it was all foolishness and so you know are there conspiracies sometimes yes is there red tape yes i have suffered through it but yet there's got to be some kind of quality control well the the ultimate irony is that essentially we are talking about a conspiracy yeah. and for many people yeah, and may, for many people who are veterans of conspiracy theory, we're recognizing that conspiracy theory is being exploited so much now um, by larger conspiracies. It's this meta level that is kind of a that is a, a big hurdle for a lot of people because it's a more complex model, and um, essentially we are talking about a conspiracy to promote this drug. Yeah, it's being, we- right. it's being used, it's being weaponized. Well, this same association came out and officially opposed peer review boards where they would um, quality control other doctors who were going rogue and harming patients. And these organizations, like a hospital, they have a lot financially at stake. Absolutely. If somebody starts getting to be a quack, and so they would have their peers review what they were doing. Well, this organization was totally against that. Because most of the people that contributed to them would all, you know, be in big trouble if they had to go under a peer review board. And by the way, that's eventually what happened to Dr. Selene Goad, the head of America's Frontline Doctors. And, of course, she would say it was a conspiracy, too. But her employer had basically had enough. And after the video came out that Adam sent me that everybody saw one of the biggest things ever seen on, uh, you know, on YouTube and elsewhere, she lost her job uh, because of it. And, of course, that's just another conspiracy that's fed. But they don't want anything where anybody's held accountable for their words. It's just like in the voting thing right now. All of these uh, theories we hear about the uh, crooked voting that's going on. Did you know they almost never bring any of those up in the 60-something trials that they're having by all these judges? Mm -hmm. You know, when they're having hearings and these judges, a lot of them are Trump appointees. They don't bring them up. In the court cases, what they say on talk radio, because they could be held accountable if they don't have stuff that has evidence behind it. There are repercussions against attorneys that bring that to court. They can actually have sanctions put against them. They can lose their law license. And so they they throw that for consumption to talk radio now. But when they get before a judge, they don't talk about any of this stuff. And that's exactly what these people do. They don't want to be held accountable mm-hmm. for their wild you know, swing for the fences, accusations against people and actually have prestigious people or independent people look at the veracity of what they're doing. And so that's what, you know, but this group since, you know, the end of World War II has been doing this kind of stuff consistently and served the interest of big business to support them. But now Rand Paul, when he's been interviewed about it, you know, I one article I've got from 2015, he's defending them strongly. Uh, you know, in the libertarian support that they give where, you know, basically you can do sort of whatever you please as a doctor and it doesn't really matter to anybody else. You're not accountable to anybody else. In fact, a lot of people don't know Rand Paul. He formed his own uh, certifying board. Uh, he did not want uh, to be involved in the certifying board of ophthalmologists that required you to be periodically checked again to make sure you still had your skills. And so he just formed his own rogue certifying (laughs) board. 
and he did Makes it from scratch. Sense. Yeah, and why he, not? Of course, he you know they money would come in there instead from other doctors. And unfortunately, all the you know he probably got forty or fifty doctors to do it, but none of the hospitals wanted these people because they would be at legal risk of some kind of you know rogue out of the blue certifying organization. Now, do I like independence? Yes, I'm by nature. I like it in my religion. I like it in economics and anything else. I like independence, but everybody's got to be accountable somehow, particularly when you're talking about people's safety, people's yeah. life safety. Somebody's going to be accountable. But Rand, Paul, in fact, the other guy, um, Tom Price, is a member of the same organization proudly. And he he was Trump's health and human services cabinet member. He 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 was the head of it and was a member of this same organization and defending it. Wow. So you can't say that they're just a bunch of quacks over in the corner. They have a huge effect on you know eventually our lives. Yeah. And that well, it's not surprising that they got behind Dr. Simone Gold. And her uh, hydroxychloroquine, you know, campaign and crusade, and defending her, and you know, along with her sidekick, more people remember Dr. Stella Emanuel, the other doctor with her, and she was the one that said that the magic eight ball was a device of demons that was controlling our children. Yes. Which I'm assuming you all have done a lot of shows on that to expose how the demons control children through magic eight ball. Yes, we have. We've, okay, we've, good. we've really looked into it, and it's it's really insidious. Right. You know, I've been studying the demonic infiltration of Yahtzee. <laughs> and particularly if you get like the three sixes, you know, in Yahtzee. What about Tiddlywinks? Well, Tiddlywinks, Jax, are another one, too. The y- Yahtzee really sounds Eastern European. What are its origins? I think it might be have some kind of Kabbalah in there. Yeah, I imagine. I, I well, they got. I think Aleister Crowley on the box. So, oh, sh- yeah, that that could have something to do with it. I think they found a Yahtzee at Boleskin House there, or wherever he lived. <laughs> yeah, this is the crowd that we're dealing with. Well, and and as with a lot of other things with these like historical amnesias, um, you know, there was a time when medicine was very unregulated. Uh, you know, especially in this country with uh, people's ingenuity for entrepreneurship. And there were uh, so many snake oils being peddled and, uh, you know, deadly combinations of drugs that they had all kinds of respectable members of society uh, addicted to. And, uh, you know, there's there's a reason why um, things are regulated, things are peer-reviewed, and, you know, there's a reason why... um, we don't have this libertarian utopia, especially in things like medicine. Wild West, in other words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if if you look at my original post I did, the first one, which is the one just before this last one, I I begin by comparing it to one of my favorite movies, A Face in the Crowd, that has a very dark Andy Griffith as a rogue demagogue mass media figure, one of the first. You know, he's sort of like the predecessor of the kind of Glenn Beck, Rush Limbaugh kind of guys, but with this all shucks populist message. And he takes a product like that called Vitajex. And you can see the picture on it. It's mostly made of inert matter, aspirin, caffeine, dextrose. And he repackages it, this this hick. He's, he's basically a, a street punk, 
basically, right. who by unique circumstances rises up uh, to New York in Madison Avenue and and repackages it as a basically a sexual enhancement thing. I mean, which is an amazing in a 1957 movie, you would see it, but it's cleverly advertised as restoring, you know, virility and things like this. And people drink that up and they talked about, and this gets back to your point uh, here, Sergio. Many people thought that this movie, and I recommend everybody watch that movie. It's called a face in the crowd, 1940, 1957, but they compare it because uh, this Andy Griffith character was shown to be so influential with the general populace that some retired generals and others started grooming him to prepare presidential figures on how to repackage their image before the camera. But there was a, a product that, that was understood that this Vitajex in the movie was based upon that was a real product called Hadacol. And Hadacol was probably the, the best-known patent medicine ever. And there was some Louisiana state senator that came up with it. And he had no real medical background, but he was known as a master of self-promotion. And so... He uh, back engineered some kind of liquid that was a foot pain medicine, and he added a lot of alcohol to it as a quote preservative, so that they could sell it yeah. in all the dry counties in the South. Of course, so it became very popular, amazing in the dry counties that couldn't get their hands on on alcohol, and they'd say, "Well, I need a shot of call. I'm not feeling very good." But he had this goodwill caravan that went around the country. And they had all these Hollywood celebrity like Milton Berle, Lucille Ball, Mickey Rooney, Bob Hope. You know, they had these A-list guys, including a lot of Southern ones like Roy Acuff, you know, or Manny Pearl, promoting this product. And if you had box tops from the Hadacall, you got into the show. And um, it turned out because of the price of the product, it was pretty expensive ticket sales. And it went on and on and on. And he made ridiculous amounts of money with this product. And it just shows how the American public is so gullible, you know, for this kind of message. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, like I found one article they had for Hedekal, uh, which, which was like went to a publication for farmers in the South that said, don't be satisfied with symptomatic relief. It's possible to relieve the cause of your ailments when lack of vitamins, B1, B2, iron, and niacin cause stomach, gas, heartburn, and nervous disorders. And it just shows how this basically alcohol-based drug, with maybe they threw some vitamins in there too, uh, was the key. Of course, they had to even get that as a dietary supplement because there were still rules even then against these products. And that's where you see a lot of these things advertised as dietary supplements because there's almost no rules when, when you have something yeah. like that. Yeah, I think if you call it a dietary supplement, then you don't have to um, get FDA approval, right? R right, right. And if you look at most of the conspiracy shows from Alex Jones <laughs> and all the other shows that I could think of, you know, stuff that I've seen through the years, almost all of them are bankrolled by these kind of products. Yep. And they're going Col stronger colonial, now colonial than Colonial silver? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, even though the man turned, turned blue. blue from it you're right <laughs> uh-huh right but they're the ones who are paying most of the big checks um that we see in this alternative radio including the christian versions was this kind of stuff but um the views expressed by dr feature do not necessarily reflect the views of conspiracy normal 
or its advertisers. There you go. Or its many <laughs> advertisers. <laughs> Including what? MyPillow.com. Aren't they one of your big sponsors? <laughs> hey, cut the checks. I've heard we'll Mike Lindell talk we'll about you a lot. There's another one. There's a, you mentioned him. I mean, you know, he, he he even had to come out with his own miracle cure. Oleandra. Well, there's gold in them there, Hill. You know? Yeah. Especially in a time of, of great stress like this. So, to the hydroxychloroquine, or is there anything else you wanted to say about the AUPS? No, no, that, that's it. I think you get the gist of it. But they were the main people coming to her defense, including after the fact. It, it, ironically, I quote an article that after they had been supporting uh, Dr. Gold and America's Frontline Doctors and the hydroxychloroquine, even they admitted in the article that they were not surprised she got fired because mm-hmm. – these hospitals have a lot of liability and they have to deal with this kind of stuff. So even they admitted they expected her to get fired because of these rogue operations these people were doing. And um, these groups, again, the Council on National Policy, uh, the um, uh, Freedom Works, these other ones, Tea Party Patriots was a main funder of it. And when I started calling these people, uh, these organizations, they would all admit to it. This is not some kind of weird, you know, rogue thing. Yeah. Um, I was sent to the people overseeing the marketing of this. And believe me, they were not medical people. Mm-hmm. They were not people that knew anything about health. Right. They were political people uh, that they admitted was key to getting President Trump reelected by getting everybody out there taking this stuff, the swill. And then basically you all go back to work. We get the economy up and he wins because that was the end point winning the long-term effects. That's irrelevant. If we win at the ballot box, if people get sick after this, who cares? Can you, can you tell us how that happened real quick? Because we were kind of uh, there talking to you in those days that you uh, just, you just called. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, I actually called to find out. I wanted to know more about hydroxychloroquine because I'd seen the video. And I had asked the people to speak to, and they're the ones that directed me to the Council of National Policy. (laughs) Their group CNP Action. Of course. Yeah, oh, these are the people you need to talk to, but they're meeting with other people. And they contacted me back. Mm -hmm. And then I started finding out that the Tea Party Patriots and others were all the ones running the show for hydroxychloroquine and paying all the bills and yeah. making all of the arrangements for them to get on all the media stuff. And uh, Breitbart was the one that was, that broadcasted it out. And it was huge. I mean, it was yeah. a huge, probably one of the most viewed things ever. And, you know, they looked impressive. They had white coats on and everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then these nasty mean people started talking about, you know, Stella Abraham, who did as much or more talking than Dr. Gold did. And about her talking about how uh, if women had uh, tumors, you know, uterine tumors and stuff, it was a sign of having sex with demons in their sleep. Yes, yes. endometriosis was right sign of that. Yeah. sign of demons in your sleep. Yep. And uh, uh, of course, the magic eight ball was bewitching her children. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's more on her, but I mean, this is the kind of people we're choosing to put our own life and the life of our children in what we will ingest in the hands of these people. Wow. So this brings us, I think to the country that is behind this, that apparently had a massive stockpile of 
hydroxychloroquine it needed to get rid of. And the large, the largest corporation from this country, right? Yes, yes. The lar- from from the data that I read, they're the largest company uh, in the state of Israel. The company known as Teva. And most people out there, if you take, you know, at least a few drugs for whatever pharmaceuticals, odds are one of those is going to have Teva printed on the side of the pill because they are the largest supplier of generic drugs in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, when you say generic, we normally think cheap because the way these drugs work with patents, just like I've had patents in my life, the way patents work, you, they don't last really long like copyrights. Copyrights are like mm-hmm. 75 years after the life of the originator. Right. Pat, patents, you get 20 years from the date you file it. And like I had one that wasn't even examined by a patent examiner for six and a half years. So you lose a lot of time just trying to get off the ground. And so you have the short window to make money. And then it becomes public art or, you know, it becomes uh, available to everybody. And so they allow you to have a sort of a sole source use of it. That's the way patents rules work. And mm-hmm. in pharmaceuticals, that's why it costs an obscene amount of money to use a product until it goes off patent and it's generic. What the whole purpose of that was, was that then it can be cheap. Now you're using 20 year old medicine, but they made their money on it and you can get cheap drugs. Sometimes that works, but there's a whole lot of drugs that by hook or by crook, they have figured out not to allow it to be cheap, even though they're generic. Yeah, and- even though the companies pushing the stuff aren't didn't do the research, didn't do all the the R and D, and didn't develop these drugs themselves. And that's one of the skills that Tiva has. As I document in my blog post, they were skilled at pulling all sorts of techniques in the marketplace to keep their generic drugs that they had from becoming cheap. They could still be expensive. I have bought some generic drugs that I thought were going to be really, really cheap, but it turns out they're not. And it turns out there was some kind of backroom deal made. And I'm not talking about a conspiracy theory on the internet. I'm talking about you can trace it and finally find here was the deal because a lot of times it's been exposed in court and um, sort of cutting to the chase on what happened. Um, when president Trump out of the blue made this amazing announcement that hydroxychloroquine out of the blue was the, the answer, I forget what he called it. It was like the miracle drug or something like that. The term he used out of the blue, he says, we don't have to worry about it now. It's all over. We don't have to worry about a vaccine. We don't have to worry about shutting down the government. We have the miracle drug. And he just made it, you know, from the front lawn of the Rose garden. Well, it turns out from my research, I found out the day before that, this company Tiva had made the announcement that they were going to provide hundreds of millions of doses of hydroxychloroquine to America. The day before they made this announcement, I found the press releases. And what they were emphasizing is that Israel, they're talking about their country, not their company. The Israel is the real friend of America. They're the real ones we can, uh, you know, uh, supply. Here's a a little bit of the information when I can show you. This is from Israel's Bar Elan University, okay? And they wrote something right at the time this announcement was made. Uh, called the coronavirus pandemic. Israel is American's friend indeed. 
And what this university in Israel says is when President Trump and other medical professionals touted the decades old antimalarial drug hydroxychloroquine, uh, the Israeli generic drug giant Teva, the most popular big pharma stock on Wall Street, immediately announced it will provide 10 million doses of its hydroxychloroquine drug to U.S. hospitals free of charge. Representative Rashida Talib and her fellow American detractors of Israel who claim that Israel does nothing but take from the U.S. owe Israel an apology. I love how that's just inserted in there. Yeah, by the university and a press release. It says, you know, couldn't be any political jab there. It says um, the TV executive says we are committed to helping supply as many tablets as possible as demand for this treatment accelerates at no cost. Says Teva is the world's leading generic drug manufacturer, employing 43,000 employees. In 2018, they produced 120 billion tablets with one in nine generic prescriptions in the U.S. containing the company's products. It says many American detractors of Israel are giving a new airing to the myth that the Jewish state receives a lion's share of U.S. military aid. Like, what is this doing in an announcement about a drug? The suggestion conjures the demon of an all-powerful Israel lobby that has turned the U.S. Congress into its pawn. Rashida Tlaib and Minnesota Democrat Ilan Omar, the first two Muslim women elected to Congress, are at the front forefront of those detractors. President Trump, along with many others, here they're talking about, you know, the politicians of another country, view Representative Tlaib and her compatriots within Democratic Party as anti-Semites. Uh, a, a perception they bolster by repeating the slander about America's aid relationship with the U.S. The reality is that U.S. alliance with Israel is based on two key factors, intelligence sharing and ideological unity. <laughs> the TIVA announcement is clear evidence of this ideological unity. Uh, another Israeli Doug site is possibly helpful is Remdesivir. Uh the top five U.S. imports from Israel are diamonds, pharmaceutical products, semiconductor materials, medical equipment, and telecommunications. Seems like they were hedging their bets because it seems like Rundesivir actually is helping. Right, 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 right. Yeah, they had, well, it, it, what you find out was even the Israeli medical people found out that it was doing no good. So it didn't help that their own backdoor people found out that it was a problem. Yeah. Um, Talk about hydroxychloroquine. Right. And they said that these experts that say that, you know, all of this is military stuff from from the U.S., if they are in th these experts, and this is a, the university saying, if they are, in fact, experts, should know that 74 percent of military aid to Israel was spent on American arms, equipment and services. Uh, the experts simply cite the wrong statistics. And so they kept promoting this as it turned out. The Jewish Telegraphic Agency, which is the Reuters of the Jewish people around the world, okay? They're old. They're, they go back beginning of last century. They're a good source for information because they report world information that affects the Jewish people. The Jewish Telegraphic Agency this past June says the state of Florida has not distributed most of the one million doses of drug hydroxychloroquine. Uh which were provided free from the Israeli drug mass, uh, maker Teva Pharmaceuticals. The drug arrived in Florida in two shipments in April. In a this is in April, okay, in a deal that Republican Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said was facilitated by U.S. Ambassador to Israel David Friedman. Political reported. Now he was the guy that Trump installed 
that was supporting all the settlements, the Israeli settlements mm-hmm. and moving the ambassadorship. Okay. He's a real extremist kind of guy. Okay. In his writing, it says only a handful of hop- hospitals have requested access to hydroxychloroquine. About 20,000 doses have been distributed to the hospital and the state is sitting on 980,000 others. It says while patients with lupus who rely on hydroxychloroquine to starve off organ damage, pain and disability are having trouble finding the drug. And in some cases, the drugs are being forced to pay triple or substitute more expensive brand names for it. Yeah. So the, for the, what the drug was used for, they can't get a hold of it. Yeah. He's, it says President Trump called it a game changer in reducing the effects of coronavirus and in his daily briefings. Now, it turned out that Ron DeSantis was flown over to Israel and was wined and dined by the government in Israel to get him. You know, he's been the closest guy holding the Trump line. Mm-hmm. And they and he wanted they wanted him to keep the beaches open, Miami. And so this was partly a way that they could get this miracle cure. Yeah. OK. Typ- typical pharmaceutical rep strategy. Right. And right. And they well, I mean, it was basically a form of Hasbara. It helped Israel out. Israel reinforced. You know, people were wavering about how Israel was our closest ally. And why should we be giving them four billion dollars a year? Well, hey, they're going to be our saviors. Yeah, Hesbera being like the promotion of Israeli interest in the United States, just in case anybody doesn't know what that means. Right. And so the press release by Tiva announcing these 10 million doses coming to the U.S. hospitals was released on March 20th. The White House, the transcript I got from the White House was a March 19th press conference the day before when he announced this miracle pill that came out. Uh, and he had said then that the FDA had approved it for COVID treatment when in fact they hadn't. So, you know, and he said, uh, why, when he was asked at the press conference, why are you pushing the FDA approve it? He says, I just feel good about it. That's all it is. Just a feeling, you know, I'm a smart guy. (laughs) (laughs) This is a quote. I'm quoting it, you know, and he is a very stable genius according to himself. yes, Yes. By May 25th, all of these like World Health Organizations or these other ones were doing clinical trials around the world had been forced into testing it. And they found out that it was doing more harm than good and that the people getting it were dying at higher rates. And of course, there was always some excuse. Well, it's a conspiracy. Well, these patients were more ill than other people. And they had all sorts of reasons. And in fact, some of them, they retracted some of it and said, we need to be a little more careful in some of these tests that were done. France also uh, stopped doing it for the same reason. So around the world, they started having these issues with it. But there was a real reason why Tiva was pushing this. And um, the reason why was that they were having some major, major financial problems due to some stuff they were fighting. I don't know if criminal would be the right term, but stuff where they were getting major sanctions put against them. And they were in very um, um, tenuous position as far as the survival of the company, the largest company in Israel. In fact, by February uh, 2017, I found a Reuters report that said that Tiva was left without a permanent chief executive or CEO. Um, 
what it says they have to restore confidence in the world's biggest generic drug maker after a series of missteps. They had made some bad acquisitions of other companies that didn't go well. Um, and they were having all sorts of desperate things. They said they were facing pricing pressure in their core generics business. It lost patent protection on one of their key drugs for multiple sclerosis. It said uh, also in this Reuters article in 2017 that the company said it was being investigated in Israel over the same issues that led to a $519 million U.S. bribery settlement in December over criminal and civil allegations that it bribed overseas officials to gain business. Mm. And it says compounding, compounding the challenge for Tiva. Again, this is 2017. Okay. Right after Trump coming to power, they say U S president Donald Trump has pledged to crack down on drug prices and a number of shareholders are pushing Tiva to split out into separate branded and generic companies. Uh, and it said that it's, fixation on mega generic acquisitions had mortgaged its ability to make sub substantial investments in specialty drugs. So they, they were in big trouble. Their stock was dropping like a rock. It says that this Tiva now has debt of 36 billion, 36 billion. Wow. Similar to its market value, making it difficult to raise new equity and a company starts circling the drain when they're too much of a risk to get new equity money. Okay, so they were hemorrhaging money back then. Okay, back in December 2016, even before Trump took office, Kaiser Health News was pointing out that it says the high prices Americans pay for generic drugs may have been cooked up by pharmaceutical salespeople on golf courses at a New York steakhouse or over martinis at a girls' night out in Minnesota. These details in the investigation showed that drug company employees uh, gathered at these swanky locations and conspired from competing companies to keep prices and profits high. And so they were arranging price fixing to keep these drugs high and uh, talking how drugs had gone uh, from $20 to $1,800 for like critical drugs to keep people alive. And Jeez. they mentioned these drugs uh, companies. And one of them was Tiva, Tiva pharmaceuticals, USA. And almost all of them, except Tiva and one other company, uh, denied wrongdoing. The rest of them mentioned it. You know, they paid their fines and things like this. So this is huge, huge business. They said that Medicaid uh, spent more than $500 million in one year on generic drugs whose prices have more than doubled. And they, they called it a collusion amongst generic drug makers. And so Tiva has fought this. And having worked in Israel and, and worked in the culture, I can see that they don't roll over easy. I mean, they, they fight tooth and nail to the bitter end. And what they did was they just start spending a lot more money on PR and lobbying. And so what they found was that these same companies were doubling, more than doubling their lobbying spending in the first three months of 2017. So they decided there was better money spent rather than fixing the problem or reducing prices that they would increase their lobbying. So they were spending almost $3 million just in a few months time uh, to try to work with the Trump administration, to become their friends. And so it, they deployed 600 lobbyists, these generic drug makers. 
just just you know prowling through DC trying to do this. So, however, they kept getting in more and more trouble. By May 2019, the U.S. had filed a lawsuit uh, accusing Teva Pharmaceuticals of orchestrating a sweeping scheme with 19 other drug companies to inflate drug prices by more than a thousand percent and stifle competition. And eventually, it was a class action that involved 44 U.S. states. Well, that that sounds like a, a conspiracy. Yeah, it sure does to me. And in fact, Teva was basically the only company, the Israeli company, that was willing to fight it and to deny, 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 deny. And um, they continued to fight this while more and more lawsuits were being filed about this. Um, CNBC reported right after that that their shares of Teva Pharmaceutical plunged more than 16% in one day after they had been sued for orchestrating this whole scheme with all these other drug makers uh, that they were, that they were driving up prices. It says the lawsuit comes as president Trump and Congress attempt to bring down high prescription drug prices. Uh, and it said that the Trump administration would require pharmaceutical companies to disclose the list price of their prescription medicines in television commercials in an effort to shame them into lowering consumer costs. Now this was a year before everything picked up with COVID. So Tiva is on the ropes. 10 days later, the BBC said that they were in an Oklahoma lawsuit, Tiva was, with Johnson & Johnson for being an addictive drug pusher by aggressively pushing opioids on the public. Yeah. So they were part of the ones trying to get people to prescribe excessive opioids as well, too. By 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 using misleading marketing, so they were all all of this kind of behavior was coming from them on all fronts. Just a Even perfect the, storm, right? The Israeli news sites by July 2019 was even telling on them as well too, and, and talking about how the government was coming down, going to force them to reduce their pricing while they were desperate. And, and it says Trump's order is a further blow to battered Tiva, which is facing a declining of sales, its former flagship drug, and two major lawsuits about fixing of drugs. Um, and I can go on and on. More and more lawsuits that they kept getting filed that I record these. Um, uh, uh, e they were even using charities. They set up these fake charities as a way to buy the, these drugs for people and then to be able to get kickbacks because Medicare wouldn't pay the high prices. And they found a roundabout way for people to pay basically the high deductibles where if they could get people to buy it and they were supposed to buy, pay a deductible, even under Medicare, they had a backdoor way to sneak the deductible back to people they weren't supposed to get. <laughs> and this is, this was the kind of stuff that this hydroxychloroquine company was doing. I mean, this was like a miracle cure for, for the company. For the company, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, did they have? Did they have it? Just was it just? Was this on a stockpile? Was this just laying around? And all of a sudden, they're like, "Oh, we can push this." Well, it turns out they could make it virtually for free. Yeah, but the point uh -huh. is, it wasn't the point. Was the money they get a hydroxychloroquine? The key was they were at the point, right at the point when this came out where the book was getting thrown on them and basically shutting off the market in America, mm -hmm. right. which would have basically probably put them out of business. 
And right at that time, I found an article from March 30th where Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, uh, made an announcement. He had a public press release that Israeli-sourced hydroxychloroquine was being already used in South Florida hospitals. Mm -hmm. Just at the time when they were, you know, on the ropes. Um, But he was making sure that they had it. And the Times of Israel reported the initial donation to hospitals was 6 million pills. And so they were providing this free of charge, but it was the PR was the key. And they wanted this was a this was the ultimate transactional deal with President Trump. Yes. If we will save your fat out of the fire and give you a miracle pill. You can save us out of these lawsuits. I mean, that is the perfect kind of deal. Okay. Uh, for it. It says uh, DeSantis credited U.S. Ambassador David Friedman for helping source the medicine from Tiva in Israel. Uh, for DeSantis, the cor- coronavirus crisis brought into play a relationship prized by the governor, prioritized in 2019 with an Enterprise Florida trade mission to Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. Friedman, the Tallahassee Democrat reported, said Israel has no greater friend in all the 50 governor's mansions than Ron DeSantis. The venue was at the ambassador's residence in Tel Aviv, where Governor DeSantis was guest of honor at a dinner where top shelf wine and food was served up, a veritable banquet feast. The event was a capstone of a week in Israel where DeSantis and Florida's officials signed memoranda of understanding on issues related from academic partnerships to collaborations in space. Beyond hydroxychloroquine qual, some good news on the Israel front testing. Uh, also, they said that 2,000 tests from Israeli companies uh, 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 and those tests were headed to South Florida and Duval. That was for like actual hydroxychloroquine test, or excuse me, I mean COVID test. Um, so this relationship had been set up in the months prior to this through this Ron DeSantis, uh, and basically it just fell right into their lap, an ideal way to save the company. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, it says that during this briefing, this this came out in Politico. On April 7th, DeSantis took credit for loosening shipments of the drug from India. Okay, this is Tiva, but they were having a made in India. And India was not supposed to be allowed to send it. But he sought testimonials on the drug from doctors and a patient. Um, uh, let, me, let me go down there. I just want to sh- find a little bit more on this. Um, it says, uh, Tiva provided Florida with a batch of hydroxychloroquine last month a second shipment Monday, they, they manufactured in India where government officials in India forbade shipments from leaving the country. DeSantis said he had a hand in getting India Prime Minister Modi to allow more of the drug to be shipped to the U.S. I spoke to President Trump, and he spoke to Prime Minister Modi, and Modi made an exception for the United States. Tiba's bringing more to the U.S. and have a second shipment already to a Florida hospital. Uh, so... Um, all of these guys in the Trump administration are all pulling out of the public eye these kind of things, you know, to, to, to make it work. Um, so anyway, um, hydroxychloroquine was not the only one that they were doing this with. There was other companies coming up, coming up with some other things like this. Um, let me see if I could, you mentioned uh, the, uh, uh, you, you mentioned the one with the my pillow guy, 
Oleandra. Yeah. yeah, right, right. Uh, there's another guy, the uh, the Job Creators Network, a conservative dark money nonprofit, l- launched a petition in a series of Facebook ads calling on Trump to cut the red tape and make hydroxychloroquine available to treat patients. This Job Creators Network was founded by the uh, Home Depot co-founder, Bernard Marcus, a major GOP donor. He was the one who was trying to also use this to politically get him elected. Um, They formed a group called the Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America organization that had Tiva part of it. And this was all about creating jobs uh, for doing this. Uh, also a group called Physicians for Reform they founded, which was done with Freedom Works, which is the front for the Koch brothers and um, the, uh, the uh, Tea Party as well, too. So, um, but um, if I could share with you a little bit about the... Uh, okay, it says that is at this point, they were getting ready. Here's the, Here's a key point. They were Etima was getting ready to sell, settle with the government. They couldn't win this lawsuit that they were going to lose, and so uh, it was reported in the New York Times that the Justice Department had to decide whether to file criminal charges against Tiva or not for price fixing and a whole bunch of other kind of things that they were doing. Some of which we just talked about. And it was more than it was drugs for multiple sclerosis, migraines. They say uh, Tiva officials say criminal charges could cripple the Israeli company and leave it unable to sell drugs. Uh, it says for years, Justice Department and state prosecutors have been investigating what they describe as a conspiracy by pharmaceutical companies to increase the price of drugs. The department has extracted guilty pleas and $224 million in penalties from four of the drug companies, but Tiva would not settle. They, they were dragging out this lawsuit in, in being unresistant to say what we, you know, whether we will accept a, a settlement or not. Whereas all of the other drug companies made a settlement, but right with the key thing where they either had to decide or get the book thrown at them. It says a week or two before Tiva's lawyers pulled out of the settlement talks, a board member, Roberto McNone, reached out to the White House to discuss the company's efforts to provide drugs that could help treat the coronavirus. And so it says Dr. or Mr. McNone from Tiva emailed a former college roommate of Jared Kushner. He wrote that Tiva wanted the White House to help get the country's company's hydroxychloroquine supplies out of India and to permit it to coordinate with rival drug companies to make and distribute it. In ensuing discussion with the White House Corona Task Force, it made itself out to be a valuable partner in making this drug. So this is right when they're on the fence on whether they have to throw in the towel with the government. And again, it would have cost them maybe billions of dollars. So after they found that our government people were willing to play ball with them behind closed doors for this miracle drugs. They decided not to settle with the government and they walked away from a potential settlement daring the justice department who Trump controlled from throwing the book at them and, and putting criminal charges because they felt like they had us where they wanted us. Right. They had this drug that they had to have, 
and they and they couldn't um, do anything about it. And so that's what happened the next day. Times of Israel said that Teva has essentially walked away from settlement talk to the Justice Department antitrust division in a high-profile lawsuit, simultaneous as Donald Trump at the same time said that they had this game changer from Teva. So this is the main thing that's really driving all this from the point of actually getting their hands on it. Uh, and again, this is multiple sources. I've been able to, to verify this information. Yeah. And I think at that point, I think they, they did throw in the towel on actually, uh, doing it. And in fact, some other, um, um, watchdogs went to the justice department and complained to attorney general Barr. They said, we're concerned about the lack of transparency from the department of justice since the recent passage of a key statute of limitations deadline, which they let pass without filing charges, as well as the possibility that Tiva's attempt to curry favor with President Trump has impacted this investigation. Mm -hmm. So I won't bore you with the additional details, but there's much more that, that I show where a fix was in. Yeah. yeah. It definitely sounds like it. And I mean – Right now, okay, we've got the vaccine coming out, and you know I'm I'm seeing it on social media right now about how dirty a company Pfizer is or Moderna or, or whoever is making the vaccine. Yeah, well, they all we, are, of course. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing is like that's that's what people don't that's what people don't realize that you know they need to look at this too, you know. If you're going to be consistent and you're going to look at maybe there's some tomfoolery going on with the vaccine, maybe, maybe not. I mean, well, you know. one thing you can say, there was definitely a need for a vaccine. Yeah. Okay. Unlike right. something falling out of the sky where they're pushing something, it's it's like the medicine show that shows up or, or even the fuller brush salesman used to go door to door. They said, first of all, you have to create a need and then fill it. So the way these, these guys come and now they do it when they call you on the phone, you know, or your emails, they first have to convince you of a need you don't even know you have. And then they eventually have this product. You know, this is a reverse case where we have an emergency where if we don't have something like this, there is no way we're going to get back to normal. Yeah. And people can say, well, I don't care. We're just going to mix it up. And so they'll have super spreader events and everybody will be on a ventilator and that'll be the end of it. Okay. That doesn't look as appealing to me. You know, yeah. to have, you know, X percent of our public lost on a ventilator. So there is a need and you can't blame a pharmaceutical company because there is a need. And if you do, you better have some pretty good evidence to compare it. And the fact of the matter is you've got a whole bunch of pharmaceutical companies who are all doing it simultaneously. It's not one fly by night company showing up. Yes. Trying to do this whole thing. And that market is going to get parsed out. It looks like probably at least five or six companies. Are they going to make a lot of money? Yes. Yeah. And do pharmaceutical companies rip us off sometimes? Yes. And there's going to have to be, you know, government intervention and watchdog to make sure that they don't exploit us. But at the same time, these people have been busting their tail doing a world record of generating and, you know, and trying to do it with minimal risk running through all these trials that yeah. people are impatient for. It's not going to be perfect. I wouldn't be surprised if some people get hurt because anytime there's a drug, you're going to have some of that, but you know, it's, it's gonna, it's going to happen. 
but it's not the same as somebody showing up out of the blue with some kind of murky product that nobody knows hasn't yeah. really been tested you know by independent people or things like that it's a totally different situation dr future you don't trust the my pillow guy <laughs> well you're telling me you know um he's an interesting guy you know i i wrote about a little docu a mini biography about mike lindell on cnbc because you know all the old tv shows i watch it's all my pillow commercials <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're just up at that time of night demographic uh, <laughs> i and spinster women uh mike lindell the my pillow guy he, he starts this article himself and says mike lindell says there aren't many crack addicts who've become successful but he's one of them that from the crack house to the white house right exactly and he brags about it now he he did it he founded the my pillow empire they say while he was addicted to drugs but now to his credit he's been well, clean I mean, sober for over you, years i mean you gotta have Need a little soft place to, you gotta have a soft place to lay down you know? to come down yeah well, yeah, when well, you literally crash, uh, but he, you know, he has other experiences worthwhile. Experience. He said earlier in his career, he tried to make money as a professional card counter in Las Vegas. Oh, okay, okay, but you know, crack houses were really not too many around anymore, but they were very uncomfortable places. You know, you could use a my pillow. Right, exactly. Probably a lot of stains on it, but still <laughs> comfy. But uh, obviously, he has a good poker face. You know, he raised hogs. He lo he lost all his money. Uh, he decided out of the blue to get into the hog business, raising hogs. Uh, then a lunch wagon, he did, and then a bartender. Uh -huh. uh, none of those really worked out. He says, "That's a true American success." Sounds like story. Napoleon Hill, man. Shit. Yeah, Horatio, Horatio Alger would be, yeah. would be proud. L Lindell himself said in the CNBC article, he says, buying a bar probably wasn't a real good idea because I was an addict at the time, a pretty hardcore cocaine addict. But then my <laughs> pillow idea came to him in a dream at two in the morning. And he was convinced the dream came from God. So he founded it. You, you were thinking, well, if he had a dream from God, I bet you he walked away from drugs immediately when he got the <laughs> my pillow vision. Well, it says, um, uh, my the pillow project kept Lindell's cocaine addiction at bay, but it never really went away. He says, "Then I got into crack cocaine after he started." It's a it's a natural progression, right? Then and his marriage broke up. He lost his house and he almost lost his business. So the my pillow did help him get into crack cocaine. In March two thousand eight, Lindell said he was awake for at least two weeks doing crack. He tells an incredible story Jeez. about his his dealer Lee who put the word out on the street, his dealer put the word on the street, said no one was to sell to Lindell any more drugs until he got some sleep. So that's the morality of the free market right there. You know? Right. That's you know. why he had to give, give a good pillow because he hadn't had sleep for two weeks on crack so much that his crack dealer was worried about him doing too much crack. He must've been doing a lot of crack. So if anything, we need to thank the crack dealer yeah, yeah. Or maybe even saving Trump's presidency. <laughs> so eventually from that, you know, he's he he went from like fifteen hundred employees, started to, he spent a hundred million dollars on infomercials and have sold uh thirty million pillows. 
Now, unfortunately, they also mentioned that California authorities sued the company for making unsubstantiated health claims. It's a dietary supplement. Yeah, he just, <laughs> yes, he'd rather settle than go to court. And the settlement is forcing to redo advertising and which caused a pause in sales. Then the Better Business Bureau revoked my pillows, a plus grade, turning it to an F. The reason Better Business Bureau did that, the company's never ending two for one price deal, which goes against better business standards because he's manufacturing his own product and his own wholesaler. So he was running this two for one. It was really just the price of the, the pillow yeah. itself, you yeah, know, for yeah, what he's okay. getting. Um, but now he's working on a movie about his life with his friend, actor, Stephen Baldwin. So I don't know if he'll play the crack addict or, you know, or what, but it says by 2016, Lindell and his company were paying heavy fines for proposing miracle cures with his pillow for ailments. They could not back up. Uh, they were saying that it could cure snoring fibromyalgia. I didn't know if you knew it. Uh, oh, wow. The right pillow could yeah. cure fibromyalgia. It gets in there. It gets in your bones. My, migraines and other medical conditions, which reminds me a lot of uh, who, who was the gentleman uh, who was the neurosurgeon that ran for president recently. He was the uh, Department ben, of Urban ben Development. Carson? Yeah, Ben Carson. You know, he promoted, you know, as a well-known neurosurgeon, he promoted a um, – dietary supplement that would actually cure down syndrome was advertised you don't say so i don't adam can you explain how the dietary stuff cures down syndrome uh i'm at a loss okay well he he got in on the same action too okay um yeah it cured migraines and other medical conditions um uh, the lawsuit said the company should have known or knew that that these claims are true or misleading. Um, and then the Better Business Bureau provided further information on why they gave them an F. It says that the the what you're buying with this, the photos that they showed of what you're buying shows the premium pillow when the box actually holds their standard pillow. Uh, claims offering a full warranty when their warranty was not full. Uh, customers still had to pay a fee to return the pillow. So these are the kind of things that were finally coming up, but he was ingratiating himself to the religious mm. right. Mm. So obviously with these kind of credentials I just shared, he was invited to speak at the convocation of Liberty university <laughs> and was given with all these credentials I just shared an honorary doctor of business. Oh, but they had some of that good stuff for him there backstage. He, he was the model of what they wanted those Christian students to represent. Um, Jerry Falwell Jr. says, I can't think anybody else who epitomizes the principles that built this school than Mike Lindell. Um, and uh, uh, he says, when I met with Donald Trump, I felt like it was a divine appointment. And when I walked out of that office, I decided I was going to go all in. And... Um, at the same time, at the same talk that I have, I found at the Liberty site about this, uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. was also talking about their head coach, Lou Fr Hugh Freeze. And I don't know if you know Hugh Freeze. He was the guy that was old Miss, who uh, who was their football coach, and was found by the NBA, NCAA giving players and recruits money and helps on their exams. Mm. 
And eventually he was found calling escort services on his school cell phone for over five years getting escorts. And he finally accepted the university offer to resign rather than get fired for violating their morals clause. So as you expect, he was the ideal guy for Liberty University to hire for a five-year coaching contract at Liberty. Of course. And Lindell maintained his contact with Trump through, through Mar-a-Lago. So he was a regular visitor at Mar-a-Lago. Um, and and the tr President Trump talked about how, how he was sleeping great on his own my pillow uh, at, at the same time. And um, he would regularly sit at the table with Trump there at the Florida Resort. So they've had a re relationship um, for a number of years. Um, uh, something else I wanted to share, it says, you know, when, when he came to the coronavirus task force briefing, of all people to have of like the national and world experts on medicine and epidemiology for the main forum for the coronavirus, they invited the MyPillow guy is one of the main guys to speak at the coronavirus task force. And um, he used it to basically for President Trump to tell Mike Lindell there in front of all the press uh, how America is very grateful for all that he had done. And he wanted him to say a couple words about the companies during the Corona task force meeting. And um, so he talked about my pillow while they were trying to find a solution while people were dying in mass. And um, then he asked if, the, if he could read something. Uh, you know, from the, and the president said, okay. And so he read about how God gave us grace on November 8th, 2016 to change the course we, we were on. God had been taken out of our schools and lives. Nation had turned back to uh, his back on God. And then basically the president gave us so much hope. Where a few short months ago, we had the best economy, the lowest employment and wages going up. It was amazing. And it says, with this president, we'll get through this and back to a place that's safer than ever. So that was his contribution at the time to the COVID crisis, uh, even though he had just been fi fined for making dubious health claims. So he was brought as one of the main spokesmen. And, and I mentioned about Ben Carson. Ben Carson got involved in this stuff, too. And he was the one that had been working for Manatech that said that it um, – the nutritional supplement actually uh, addressed Down syndrome and helped cure Down syndrome. And, you know, that was part of the beginning of the end of his own presidential campaign. So uh, in the middle of this, doc, uh, Dr. Carson, they all came back together and the oleander plant extract marketed as a dietary supplement became the latest new drug to cure COVID-19. And um, this was involved, embraced by the Housing and Urban Development Secretary, Ben Carson, and my pillow founder and CEO, Mike Lindell. So you got the guy promoting the nutritional supplement to cure Down syndrome, and Mike Lindell are now have a new thing since hydroxychloroquine started getting bad results medically around the world. So now this was the new thing that they said that the FDA should be approving. And he had a cabinet member to do it. And so then Trump publicly said that the FDA commissioner needed to look at or speed up approval of this oleander drug. 
Now, there's no public data that ever showed oleandrin has ever been tested in humans or, or animals, even, for its efficacy against COVID-19. But they wanted approval for it. So I want to turn this to a similar similar topic away from these kind of like these these hucksters and these people that are pushing these miracle cures. And by the way, I'm sorry I went on so long with yeah. the listeners. No, no, no it's okay. But I just want people to know how deep this is. These aren't yeah. one or two issues that are qu- because there's a whole lot more information on this kind of stuff that shows more of these yeah. people came out of the woodwork with people we know that have these kind of dubious reputations and anything like that was fair game. And President Trump says, yeah. okay, well, you need to hurry up and approve this what it was, anything but anything legitimate. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, what I want to say real quick, too, is that like anything else in our country and for people who, uh, for other countries who subscribe to this ideology, um, you know, everything is up for sale, you know, like we already know our politicians are, scientists and medical people are also up for sale in all of these schemes that are going on, you know, and you used all the C words, collusion and conspiracy that are on government used against this company. Um, and you know, it's like we do live in a very conspiratorial world. Um, none of us are saying that there are not real conspiracies, but when you see conspiracy theory now promoted by vested financial interests, um, you know, I can even, I was trying to look into some information just while we were talking about just estimates of, uh, the type of, uh, money that these drug and generic drug industries represent. I mean, it's astronomical and it's it probably, boggles the imagination, yeah. right? Well, and you got big oil, big yeah, oil yeah. is used in, in the financial big, world. Yeah. You've got, and you've got, uh, Silicon Valley. I mean, all of these people have money that totally defy our imagination. And only a pittance of that can overwhelm our media systems. Yeah. They they pay the advertising. They and, basically yeah. control a lot of that information. So, I mean, granted, we're yeah. we're in an environment like that. I'd readily admit it. And when you see when you see a, a you know a section or an, an some vested interests pushing 
a conspiracy theory. You know, if you have any background in conspiracy theory, you should ask why is this narrative being pushed by these people? Right. Right. That's the smart thing to do is where it's coming. You know, the old adage, follow the money. Yeah. That's usually pretty valid. That's usually valid most of the time. And it's not that we can totally avoid this. I mean, I think we need, we need a vaccine. Yeah. And the free market is going to deliver that. And I think watchdogs, I'll hound them to make sure there's, you know, any chance we can limit, minimize exploitation. I say more power to it. Yet at the same time, they deserve, you know, some profit, maybe a modest profit for the risk. But now a lot of this stuff, the risk was minimal because the taxpayer paid a lot of the money. And so we should be able to negotiate to minimize profits on stuff that we invested in. If we bore more of the cost of the risk for these companies, so, you know, they knew they were going to get the payback or the cost up front, we need to use that leverage. And so I'm totally for that. And, but what we need to do is to find out that people who have legitimacy, a legitimate record of trying to do like good quality standards and things, not some guy who drops out of the sky. Yeah. Who has something that nobody's ever heard of him in the field or whatever. And occasionally you might have something good, but you know, if it's good, it will, it will stand the gauntlet of tests and trials, or you can just say it's always a big conspiracy. And that every company around the world who's tested it independently and found that it's dangerous, well, then they're all in some kind of enormous big conspiracy against you. Which one's the more likely? Yeah. And b- before you pivot it, Adam, I do just want to say real quick, I think that all this has been about more than just particular industries being saved, etc. I think that we had a real conceptual existential crisis where... Um, the the drive to reopen the economy hinged more upon the idea that they didn't. I think more than anything else, they do not want the American people to accept the idea that the state could help them through this time and get people used to the idea that the state can help them on a massive scale, like we bailed out the financial and, and mortgage industries, like we bailed out the, the auto industries, I think that that was the real crisis. And that we they had to stop, no matter what, they had to try to stop uh, this this idea that, that the state could actually help the American people through something like this and provide assistance. I mean, that goes, that goes straight into what I was going to talk about anyway, which is just like the, the, the media environments, the alternative media environment and all this. But, you know, that's the, that's the big argument, right? Is that, um, we're, why are we doing this? Why, why did we do the lockdowns in the first place? Uh, we're ruining people's lives. And, and, and I think some of that stuff is, is actually valid and can be valid. Yeah. Because the other side of that is that if you do shut down the economy, then you have to provide assistance. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But you know what? If we had done like a lot of the countries in Asia and bit the bullet for for three weeks, you know, like they did in a lot of the Asian countries, and it was rough, you know, and they had to have food delivered to them and things like that. But then they moved on. They starved it to the most part. I mean, you know, there's been some flarebacks here and there. But for the most part, a lot of countries, when they bit the bullet, they got the payback. 
But Americans were too impatient to do that. And it's like you said, Sergio, if you do that, then you really do need to provide some mutual assistance for the industries most impacted, like restaurants, other retail stores and things like that. But that would have been so much cheaper than think of all the medical cost, all of the people that have been in intensive care and in ventilation, the astronomical price. If you could have avoided that by keeping people at home and just sending them big checks to not do that, how much cheaper that would have been than the overwhelming medical costs that we're yeah. now going to bear. But 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 I think they're really more than anything terrified of those ideological implications that it would just drive this wedge, you know, that Keynesian economics works and that the government has enough money that the wealthy and corporations in this country have enough money to do something like that. The biggest battle that I think started that whole thing you're describing, in my view, was the battle against the New Deal. Mm -hmm. That was when it first, what I would say in its modern form, came in because you had 25% of the American public unemployed and you had a powder keg where all sorts of extremist ideologies could have taken root like they did in Germany in the 20s. You know, at the end of the Weimar Republic, you had people desperate and they would do desperate things. And the fact that the government could say, okay, we're going to go on and build roads and cut down some forests to get roads or highways or build dams or things like that and hire people to work. You know, at least we're going to have something to show for it for the money just to get them through to the economy gets back on its feet. That was so controversial then. And that's really the argument. And in, in the book that I, you know, the two masters and two gospel ones I did, that was the catalyst for all of it, including the Christian yeah, media that came absolutely. out, was to fight the New Deal and that the government could have any kind of role in getting people even just temporarily back on their feet. And that that wasn't handouts. That was just jobs programs to do things yeah. that are – we still benefit. All of our state yes. parts were built by those people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all of Tennessee really is marked by that. All the yeah, all the dams, all the lakes, and I can say that as somebody skeptical of government. I've spent my whole time, but yeah. if there's anything useful to have it, is when we have a legitimate crisis, and as a stopgap, and it's really an and, investment. It's an investment that would have paid off so much more now than this mess of no leadership we ended up. Yeah. With. And this is a legitimate crisis. I mean, could, could we have really ameliorated and, you know, maybe we would, maybe we would have half the number of dead that we, we have now. Well, you've we, got, we've, we've topped yeah. over 300,000. We have four and a half percent of the global public. And we were in the ballpark of 20% of the cases and deaths total cases. Yeah. That really shows how, how advanced we are is the most, you know, we, we can destroy the world 20 times over with our nukes, land a man on a moon, but we have third world can uh, track record with COVID. Yeah. And that's purely, there, there's no other statistical way to describe that other than piss poor leadership. Yeah. But the thing is, is that that has filtered down to the, to the common people. So, I know that uh, I told you a couple hours, Mike, but uh, we really want to talk. We really want to get into talking about this and talk about how the misconceptions and the denial that is out there of just how you know I'm. It, it is. It is December. We've been going through this for like what nine months now, eight months, something like that, and 
people are still in denial that anything is actually happening. They think it's all a conspiracy. They think it's all a big government. Uh, it's the Democrats or it's the, it's, it's what have you is, is doing it. The, the, the cases are not, um, the cases are not what they seem to be. Uh, doctors are paid more if they say that it's COVID. Uh, uh, it's only a 99.7%. You have a 99.7% chance of surviving. These, these, these type of things and things that are pulled out from, you know, masks don't work. All these type of things that are pulled out from just like, you know, midair. And you recently had a confrontation with somebody that uh, this 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 was amazing when you told me and some of the things that this person said. Well, this is a microcosm of where things, particularly in this post-election, are going to get more intense mm-hmm. because yeah. now when they don't have the political cover and control, you know, starting in a month, is the, the skirmishes are going to be on the street and. The only time I really go out is once a week. I put on my mask and I run into to Kroger and get a few odds and ends, try to stay as clear people as I can and get out. And the only reason I do that is because for some reason, they never can seem to get a hold of anything when I've ordered to deliver, <laughs> you know, to have it to the I car. Relate, yeah. Everything's out. Now you can't, I don't know why, but I can go find it. But I go in there, get in and get out. And next door is a Oriental restaurant that I've been eating and I, I get enough food to eat for lunch because it's healthy for me, makes me eat my vegetables, help me lose weight and they're good people. And what I've also found is that of all the restaurants that I've sort of perused, looked at, they take protections most seriously. They have plexiglass at the counter all the way to the ceiling. They all wear masks behind the plexiglass. Uh, if you come in, masks are required on the front door. You have to stand, you know, X feet apart from each other. They do allow just a few people in to eat in the back if they're well separated. But uh, I will go to order my lunch there and have them cook it, go get my groceries at Kroger, come back and pick up my food. So I went in there this past week. You know, we're at a time where things are exploding. And we're just getting the beginning of the Thanksgiving uh, explosion of cases. Yeah. And I go in there, but it was earlier in the day. So there was a few more people waiting for food than normal. And when I walk in the door, I see all these people around me, mostly middle-aged, wearing masks. And I see some young kid. I say young, probably somewhere in his 20s. Um, some kind of, I don't know, a reflective vest on. Anyway, he's giving it to one of these women and pointing his finger and mocking her. And I hear him say, I don't have to wear one of these masks because I'm a Republican. Mm -hmm. Now, if he would have said that to me, I probably would have just kept my cool. But he was being terribly abusive to this older woman trying to be responsible. And when he said that, I thought, well, you know, he's being honest. This is this is what they really think. Yeah. It's all a political thing. And I just instinctively said, oh, so are you saying your your party platform is that you have to go out and infect other people? And he looked at me with shock that I would actually speak up, you know, to his bullying. 
And he said, what do you mean? I says, well, that's what you're impl- implying. Since you're a Republican, you don't have to wear a mask. And is, is that is that what their platform is? They want you to go out and infect other people. And so then then he says, well, I'll tell you, I have multiple sclerosis, so I can't wear a mask. And anyway, people with my condition don't even uh, exhale carbon. <laughs> oh, wow. That's some science for you. Yeah. <laughs> You know, he had, he said, so there. And I said, well, I have a PhD in chemical engineering, and I know that that's total nonsense. And he looked at me real funny over that, and uh, people were sort of nodding their heads around me. And, and he says, well, he says, well, I'm an EMT. And he says, I wear N95 mask. And he says, look at you. Oh, you wear these cloth masks. They don't do any good anyway. And I said, well, I thought you just said because of your medical yep. condition, you couldn't there wear it. Is. Yeah. It's a double think. And so he got real mad and he grabbed his stuff and took off. Mm-hmm. And after I placed my order, I was over in Kroger and I saw the woman that he was going after. You know, one of the women in there was wearing um, uh, the military, I'm mean, not military, but medical uh, scrubs. Yeah. You know, and I think, what does she think? She's risking her life every day, day after day with these people. And then she's getting, seeing this kind of stuff. And so mm-hmm. I told the woman, I apologized to her for making a big scene. I said, I just did it on impulse. I'm sorry to meddle. And she says, that guy wasn't even an EMT. She said, he went out and got in a dump truck. Yeah. And and I, I really, my, my strong suspicion is, is that when they go prowl these forums, somebody will tell them, oh, if somebody gives you a heat about not wearing a mask, just tell them you got MS and you don't breathe out carbon. Yeah, it's right. talking points. You yeah. know, just go tell them this. Well, they, they're not going to know any different, you know. Right. Un- until somebody calls them on it. And and this is, these people are bullies. They're like a lot of these old drive-in movies that I have that Adam, I've forced him to watch, where these motorcycle <laughs> gangs roll into town, which they were the main menace back in when I was a kid in the movies. And yeah. they would roll in and they'd go in the diner and they'd put their feet right up on the front of the counter or in somebody's face. And they would just dare people to say something. Yeah. Dare people to move my feet. And I had a bully do that to me in school when I was in the sixth grade. They they all came in from somewhere else and he did it. I was a little twerpy kid and I was the only one that would tell him to get his, you know, feet off my desk. And you know, that that got me a jump in between classes. He jumped me and we rolled around in the you know, desk fighting and stuff. But, but that's what I see these people doing. They're bullies and they dare you to say something. And most people don't want a scene, including me. And so you sort of look the other way, but what these people, it's, it's sort of like they're spinning the chamber with bullets and shooting it around in the room. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, you, you have a second amendment, right? You're right. You have a right to own a gun, but shooting it around my head's a different story. Yeah, they have this whole you only live once thing, but like I've talked to Adam about, this is a collective problem, and it's not about people like me who are um, don't have pre-existing conditions and got through it. It's about people who don't, and they're acting like it's this you only live once thing, but it's like a, this um, they only live once thing. It's like trying to force your existential um, beliefs on everyone else, and that's yeah. 
They yeah, play Russian roulette, not spin the chamber, freedom. and they stick your head next to theirs yeah. and they pull the trigger. I, I've literally seen things posted on Facebook like that. Like, this might be your last Christmas with Grandma ever, so, you know, you should hug her and and you should be, you should be, you should get close. You should be the one who kills Grandma. Yeah, yeah. And, and my suspicion is stuff like that gets circulated, and I really think that's just Russian troll farm shit. Right. All right. Help us take each other out. Yeah. And they can just laugh, laugh and enjoy it. And, and I'll, I'll tell you all that one of my closest family members, not, not here in Nashville, someone I admired deeply and loved dearly, one of my closest family members was a super skeptic of all this, took a strong position online, saying it was all a hoax, the Democrats, um, didn't believe any of it, all along has been saying these people are fools for wearing masks and fighting restrictions in their state. And now... Um, he's on day eight, uh, intubated on a respirator Jeez. face down, um, Sorry, Mike. in the feeding it's, tube. It's, it's terrible. And the thing, and the, the thing is, is that there's people out there that even while that's happening, still don't believe that they have, that they have COVID. They still don't believe that they still believe it's not real. What's happening to them. Isn't real. He was forced to go yeah. by family members when he couldn't breathe at all. He was forced to go, and as he's gasping for air, he's still posting online about his fellow members of his state to, to resist quarantining and anything else as he's gasping for air shortly before he's intubated. I don't understand what's happening to, to people that I love. I don't understand yes. what's happening to their thinking. Yeah. Uh, not only that, but he infected his kids, he affected his grandkids. He affected other people that were seniors. It, it, it all, all knowing that he was sick, mm-hmm. did this. What, what, what's going on in the head? I'm not saying anything to disparage him. I just, yeah. I don't understand. There's many people like this. These are people I know, and it's, it's a, it's, it's almost like I feel like almost half of our country needs to be put on suicide watch. Yeah. Yeah. It's something weird. It's something more than conspiracy theory as we know it. You know, something that's approaching very strange spiritual levels. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a bewitching. It may be, you know, a large part of your audience and I don't mean to offend them, okay? And I, there's a lot of people I don't trust out there, the authority figures that tell me stuff. But, you know, it's not the case that they're telling us to kill other people that they're telling us to do it. And we're offering resistance to that. Or they're telling us that for the rest of our life, we have to crawl into a coffin and never get out for the rest of our life. They're asking, we put a piece of cloth on our face. Yeah. And that we spend a little bit more of our time at home, maybe reading a book or spending time with our immediate family or, you know, we, it's not like 1918. It's not like when you go home, you're completely sensory isolated from the world with all, all the online stuff and things like that. We can do everything short of touching. It's, right. it's not like we really are that isolated. So we're not being asked a lot. And we have a robust, we have a robust, large federal government that can give people aid during this transition. And I want them to do more and I don't like paying taxes and I don't like doing all that, but you know, it would be a good investment if we yes. kept people at home not to spread this. The medical cost 
that they're doing is far dwarfing some money we could provide them to help make their bills right? while they take their time off. You know, I mean, God has put all of us in time out. Small businesses need a lot of assistance. Right. Right. And I, I totally support that. You know, if they make a good decision that can help get this stuff nipped in the bud, we provide that assistance, you know, it will be a worthwhile investment. Will it cost a lot of money? Yes. And, you know, uh, a lot of entitlements have cost a lot of money throughout our history. For a long time. We never stop to think about if had we not had those, where would we be today? I just what would have been the price if we hadn't? I see a lot of people in our alternative media world, and I guess that Sirfiel and I can kind of include ourselves in that. And I see a lot of people that are still spreading a ton of disinformation. And they're doing it knowingly, and they're do and I feel like they're doing it knowingly, and I feel like they're doing it consciously. But they get a lot of hits, and because, then they get a lot of money that comes back when they get a lot of hits. Yes, because that they are, that because they they need to constantly be relevant. Yeah, because in this in this field, there's that there's that whole thing of just like I, I've got to do something for what we're. For my my patrons or whatever to keep them happy, I've got to keep I've got to keep coming up with the latest conspiracy, hitting the latest conspiracy trends. Got to be sexy, and and it's and but the thing is, is like right now it's not cute anymore. It's not funny. It's just dangerous. Well, I I see this article on the um, AAPS's website. Expert is a four letter word. And, you know, here's the thing. Political science is not a science. It's pretty easy to discern conspiracies that are going on within it. Economics is really still not a science. And I know people who work for the Federal Reserve. I know economists. And they will admit that it is not a science. But medicine, physical science, and informed things like... Uh, like uh, global climate change that's going on, these are actual sciences. And I'm a lot more prone to um, trying to suss out conspiracies in these things that are, that are not sciences. That's well said. Mm -hmm. Well said. And that's the, here's the thing is, is like us coming and, and because we've been reluctant to really talk about how we really feel. I mean, I think some of it has popped up here and there over the course of this year. But, you know, I, we, we may get flack from our listeners, from people we, that and are we already have. In, this, in this media. Yeah. You know, like that, uh, that they think that, well, we've, we've sold out to, 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 to the enemy or whatever. Right. But it's just like, you, you, you have to think about where the source of your information is coming from. Any source of information. We're going to see when the smoke clears. Yeah. So me, and, me and Adam are people who come from this culture, have been into it for a long time. And a lot of other people are, are Johnny-come-latelys. And we question private just as much as governmental conspiracies. And uh, we'll, we'll see when the smoke clears. Well, because you all are playing a long game. Yeah. You play the, you, when, when you try to maintain your integrity, that doesn't mean we all don't make mistakes now and then. We all... Right. You know, get fooled here and there. But when you try to take the high road rather than the immediate gratification payoff, 
sexy, sensationalistic thing. When you take the high road, you don't get the immediate hit, but you survive. You survive your lasting, you know. Uh, If I could give you an example on that science end, just something to think about. The main lightning rod for all the attack is this Dr. Fauci. He's the main guy because they're afraid of the influence he has uh, and sort of the unimpeachable nature by and large. So they come with all sorts of stuff. I, 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 there was a story a while back about one of these guys, him and another fellow, who were trying to ingratiate themselves higher up in the Stephen Miller um, chain, you know, of uh, Steve Bannon, of pro-Trump you know, hard right media. And what they would do to ingratiate themselves was that they had this girlfriend as a honeypot who they would get and say, Oh, well, this person slept with so-and-so or seduced some figure on the other side that would be opposing Trump to discredit them. And they would, you know, pretend to be attorneys or whatever they were. Well, they tried to do that with Fauci where she was claiming that he attacked her and tried to rape her and they were there representing her. You know, they were coming out representing her. Well, she finally came out right after that. Her conscience got the better of her. She says, no, this is not true. They set this up so they could be in good with, with Trump, you know, and it finally all got exposed on it. And this is the kind of stuff we're dealing with, you know, and I don't know that man Fauci personally, could he be doing something a little bit on the side? I don't know. But well, what I will say this, and I've said this before, guys like him and these other state officials, they've spent decades and decades and decades in sterile government meetings down in basements with little bare lights hanging down, pouring over peer-reviewed papers, doing their diligence for the community when everybody's in bed asleep, or they go out to the pool to relax on business trips. These kind of scientists I've worked with Instead of going and hanging out by the pool, they're staying in these these cold rooms in the wee hours of the night, trying to review papers to keep the quality standards up when there's no media, no TV, no big checks. They're sitting there doing that over and over again, helping graduate students, helping people get published in the literature so they can add a new generation of people. They do this thankless work for decades and decades out of the press to try to be cutting edge and keep the standards high. So at a moment like this, once a century, when we need them, they're there. And what do they get for all of that time? The time we never saw them, the time behind the scenes when we were out having fun. I won't speak to myself because my career was more like theirs. But what we do is we give them crap. We give them all sorts of crap by somebody that falls out of the sky that we don't know or what their motive is. And someone who is distinguished has decades of credentials and respect by their peers. And we just throw mud on it out of nowhere. Yeah. Now on the one of the rare case that you do find something legit fine, but this kind of stuff, we automatically assume, well, this nobody must really be on the know compared to this person that's been distinguished all these years. Mm Mm-hmm. And we ought to be telling them, thanks. Thanks for your sacrifice. You could have gone in industry and made a fortune. But no, you stayed in this you know, humble government job working, you know, making very low wage when you figure the hours they put in for what they get paid, making relatively low wage for all their sacrifices for their PhD, 
getting paid nothing, postdoctoral work, starving, you know, students. And then they get crap when they're there trying to save our butts. It's, it's all part of that kind of like anti-intellectualism. Yeah. yeah. And the Christian crowd that I come from are the worst. My little anecdote I like to say is that it's good to know the rules before you break them. You know, if you're into any of these different speculative subjects, you know, you, how are you going to question the official timeline of history if you don't actually know the archaeological um, establishment? How are you going to, you know, question all these things if you don't first learn the rules? That requires commitment, though. That requires that you care enough to make a long-term investment for a payoff down the road. You know, I had 11 and a half years of college to get through for my Ph.D., and it was no fun. I didn't go lay out and throw Frisbees out on the quad. I was in these, you know, cold rooms, all hours of the night, no sleep, paying my dues. Mm -hmm. But you really do need to, you know, even if you're going to be a great musician, if you're going to be a rock and roll musician, go learn classical music and composition, humbly pay your dues, and then you'll know how to improvise. Once you know the right way to do it, you can sort of add to it, but, but you pay your dues and you, and if you're going to do conspiracy stuff, go get some real education, go yeah. find out like real history, learn stuff that's going on. And then the time will come when you can shine and you can right. add something to it and not be an embarrassment. The way that Serfiel and I think we we feel about all this is just that, you know, you've got all these, we've been so steeped in all this for so long. We, we, we kind of, we, we know what, we know what we're talking about. And then all of a sudden you've got these like Johnny come lately's that decided they want to start a podcast and all of a sudden, Oh, they're into it now yeah, because of everything that's going on. And like, and they, and they tell you, they're telling you what you should think about it. And they haven't been disillusioned already by decades of different political agendas coming and going. Let's yep. see if they're still doing that every week for eight years, like you all have done. Yeah. Let's see if they're doing it week in and week out. <laughs> and if they go read books and they go study these other people, people, people that don't do these shows, if you do it right, you don't, it's not like you just show up and turn on the microphone and then turn it off and wait a week. You have to do a lot of homework to, to have smart questions to actually, you know, and that's what I try to do with future quake to actually know the right things to ask people, even to know how to challenge them. Well, I think, I think, you know, Mike, that, you know, from the course of doing your show and the course of me doing this show, it's just kind of like your viewpoints change after a while. The more you learn, the more you're exposed to, the more ideas that you hear, the more that you, if you're just kind of stuck in an echo chamber, you know, right. And I don't know where I'll change in the future. That's almost makes it scary for some of us people to publish because then you think, well, that's going to haunt me later. Cause it's going to be on the record. And it's like, say la vie. So yeah. what if you grow and you think, well, maybe I didn't know the whole story back when I did that book, you know, so what you, at least you did it with integrity. When you did it, you try to do good due diligence and hopefully you will grow and you'll learn new things. I think, I think though, probably as you get older, you can get sort of set in something because you're a curmudgeon. Sometimes you can do it because you're getting closer to understand. Yeah. You know, you've tested these different things. Hey, I've had to walk through hardcore conservatism. I've had to walk through libertarianism. I'm taking my another walk now, which is sort of, you know, not really accept anything ism. 
But the fact is, once you've been there, done that on stuff, hopefully you will progress and get closer. But you should never be satisfied with the status quo. But you should set high standards for whatever you do because we're in just constant, nonstop information warfare. So the question that I want to ask you, Mike, is the one I ask you every year. What's your thoughts for 2021? Old Dr. Future is like the worst guest <laughs> of the future. I still remember when we used to do that on Future Quake, and one, one of my predictions was that, that fraternities were going to start having waterboarding parties. <laughs> that was, I'm still waiting for that one to happen. But I think they still um, just make you walk on uh, things that shock you. Yeah. Well, I'm always making a fool of myself on those things, but I, I will say this is one that concerns me if it does happen. I think that now that the electoral college voted, they've got one last, even more remote hail Mary on the sixth with, they're trying to get like States just throwing out their delegates. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know what the odds are of any of that. I'd hope not much, but if, if we assume that, you know, Mitch McConnell congratulated president elect today. So those things start to be milestones. And if, all they're doing is fundraising now rather than like any chance of fighting. I'm afraid this whole movement, but which by the way, astonishingly is growing. I mean, uh, they got more votes this time than 2016. Yeah. Both in numbers and percentage. Um, what I'm afraid that this movement will become is the next great lost cause. That, yeah. That it, that it just states, it, it is an oppositional energy, and I talked about that before, so that maybe this is going to give it, yeah, more fuel for that fire. Because, you know, like after the Civil War, the whole fight, and, and Adam knows 10 times more than I do or more on this, but, you know, this great lost cause became this meme that we were sold out, that we really had the spirit culture and other things sort of betrayed us. Mm -hmm. we, had, we had everything better. And, and what happened is that you started having things like the Klan appear yeah. where they didn't have the power, but they started fighting the battle in guerrilla style locally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it internalized. When you look at Germany in the 20s, they had their great lost cause from World War One, And it started spreading that they didn't lose that war, but that the politicians sold out the German army. The stab in the stab in the back, stab stab in the back theory. Yeah. And so they, you know, the superior German people. There was no way they could have lost, unless probably some Jewish politicians caused it. And so then, what you do, you start having these fights in the streets, and they yeah. they make the socialist, the socialist communist, the the bugaboo to justify the violence, to do it. You know, they, they made the communists in the streets like the Black Lives Matters, Antifa people. And so yeah. that's what they made them out to be, you know, to do it. Who's the real enemy? And so given those two and we saw what happened, I wouldn't be surprised that this becomes the next great lost cause. They're already saying now we didn't lose the election. It, yeah. it was stolen from us. I don't care what any of you. This will be like their their Kennedy almost. It was so, yes, it was sold. It was taken from us, our Camelot. And, uh, <laughs> and so now it will become a guerrilla war. 
and they've already even the Christian crowd have become conditioned. Yeah, that mean the ends justifies means. I'll just give you one case in point. I will watch. There's a a network, a, a Christian network that comes on a lot of your over the airwaves antenna TV. You can get anywhere, and also the cable networks called CTN. What channel is it over around here in Middle Tennessee? Now I don't know in your in your uh, community where it is. I think it's like I'm not too far 20. from you. twenty. I'm channel okay. it's channel twenty. It's CTN. I think it's WHTN. They're the call letters of it. But they're around the country. But they run the most extreme shows. Like I I've shown Adam Dream Catchers with this lady that oh. interprets dreams and uh Christian homemakers with Arthelene Rippy and you know, really great <laughs> stuff to watch. Crazy wow. kids shows. But anyway, they'll show Skywatch <laughs> on there. Yeah. Skywatch yeah. TV's on there. You've got Prophecy Watchers. And there's a show by called Pray in Jesus' Name by a guy called, he calls himself Dr. Chaps. Jeffrey Klingenschmidt, <laughs> Dr. Chaps. Klingenschmidt? <laughs> yes, Klingenschmidt. And he is, uh, he's one of the favorites there at Right Wing Watch. They'll show yeah. some of the absolutely insane things that he does. But he made a name for himself by refusing to have more generic prayers when you had multi-religious gatherings. And so oh. he decided, you know, he would get, you know, fired rather than reflect the plurality of people there. Well, he has this show, and I record him because he has some pretty crazy stuff on there, including he's been doing all the stuff about all the fake ballot stuff. And I'm recording it for posterity's sake because this stuff will come back. Well, I just recorded a show with it was three or four star general retired Thomas McInerney. Thomas mm -hmm. McInerney used to be the guy that Fox News would have on when there would be a, a war breakout, and he would be there along with Paul Vallely, who was you know Mike Lacino's buddy. And he was they the would, go to they would move the little army stuff and airplanes across the map of Iraq and show here's here's how they're going to fly in and invade because McInerney was the one that controlled all of the air forces in those wars. Very you know influential, prestigious guy. Well, he has suddenly become the darling at, at uh, Skywatch, and they write, they do his books now at Skywatch. Yeah. Well, anyway, McInerney was on Pray in Jesus' Name, and he was just out front about it just, just last week. He says, I have instructed the president that he needs to declare martial law, oh. that he needs to declare posse comitatus, and that they need to suspend habeas corpus and begin arresting Democrats in mass across the country. Now, this is a retired three or four star general. I remember people like Alex Jones really like, you know, railing against posse comitatus. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, now how they're did, all how for did, it. How did we get Way back here? in the day. Yeah. Well, if you remember, he used to say we had to get beyond the left-right paradigm, too, if you remember that. Yep. And he would actually defend the people that the guys in right gear were moving against. And now he's actually promoting the guys with the right gear against mm -hmm. these people but uh th this is you know you got a distinguished guy like this who was the main guy moving all of our troops very influential still in the government and this is what they're declaring and without any hesitancy i mean this this is what is treasonous talk and so what my fear is is that this battle is going to become a guerrilla battle christians are talking themselves into justifying this that they need to be part of this action of resistance 
I have not gone and heard what uh, General Jerry Boykin is saying because he's getting a little long in the tooth. He's still second in command at Family Research Council, but you know he never saw a undercover action he didn't like. And mm-hmm. my book writing sh- reveals a lot of it. A lot of it's going to shock people, but I'm wondering what he's going to say about what needs to be done because he already was promoting some kind of global uh, affiliation of ex-pastors and ex-Delta Force people and others to start okay. assassinating um, Muslim leaders, stuff like that. Oh, okay. Okay, and and I go into my book about how he said, oh, it's sort of fiction, but it's really based on true thing going on. Um, and so this is what I'm going to be watching, is what is going to be a decentralized guerrilla warfare yeah. with skirmishes. I, I found hey. a video that uh on youtube that i still held on to about these I, they were like black lives matters people and they were marching through a uh it looked like a regular suburban neighborhood they suddenly got surrounded by just this sea of people with guns yeah from the neighborhood and it made me sick at my stomach because they all sort of got back to back and were just slowly walking and you could see the abject fear on these people's eyes as they thought, we're not getting out of this neighborhood alive. And so they're just slowly walking, and this standoff exists with everybody's hands on the trigger. And, and, and somebody's filming it, you know, that's supporting it. And suddenly they're getting out of the neighborhood, and s- somebody goes over and sh- starts shoving them. And then they shove them all into a ditch, a gully, and they all jump down there, and everybody's just going toe-to-toe. One guy's got an American flag he's carrying, confronting them, and he starts impaling them with this American flag while they're impaling them, while they're holding them down inside and they're cheering them on in this video. And I'm thinking this may be, I sure hope we're not going to see a whole lot more of this. Hillbilly Chiapas, man. Right. And and they're going to start looking for it. Just like that group that was going around in the pickup trucks, going downtown with the paintballs, trying oh. to shoot. Like they look like they had real guns to get, to draw a response from people. Right. You know, like, oh, that, that guy had a real gun, you know, to get him to fire back. This is the provocation that I'm just curious to see if this is going to really happen. So that's yeah. the thing that I – what is the underground resistance? You know, Timothy McVeigh is one of these kind of guys. Again, that all that stuff that happened in the 90s was from a, a very oppositional energy. Having Bill Clinton and his uh, federal government in place, you know, gave more fire to extreme right wing than than we had since Obama. Yep, it's gonna ha- it's gonna happen again. You know, the what Timothy McVeigh was was motivated by was the um, Waco yeah, Waco yeah. burning right. was was his thing, and so it finally hit after I've been writing like twelve volumes of the Holy War Chronicles about the. Um, Islamophobia, you know, the anti-Sharia mania, 2011. Somebody finally pointed out to me that it was a reactionary thing to the Obama presidency. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It didn't happen during the Bush Bush presidency, which was when the hottest wars were happening. It happened as a reaction to Obama getting in office, and suddenly that's how they made it manifest. And so I, I think we could be in for hotter times than what we've had now because that oppositional yeah. thing, like you're yeah. saying, the reactionary I, I agree. motive. And then, and then Trump himself, he's not going to actually, he's not actually going to go away. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's going to have his own television station. Yeah. He's basically on the day at the inauguration day, he's basically going to do have a rally and pretty much proclaim his candidacy for 2024. Yep. 
And he's going to ask people, what are you going to do to show your loyalty to me? Yeah. Yeah. I imagine though, too, if like, if, if, you know, if Biden does die and Kamala Harris does take over, like, can you imagine? Oh, I'm sure there'll be oh, good that's... sports about it. Don't you? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not there's any racism there. I mean, they're already telling me I'm having Christian friends tell me how Joe Biden is just the most intolerable and despicable guy we could ever have for president. If they're saying that about Joe Biden, what are they going to say about these other people? Well, I did. I, I do have some predictions that uh, I found. Oh, Adam's uh, got the predictions. I, 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 I did. I did want to read this to you. What we can expect. Um, this is this is from uh, this is from I don't, an unknown source on Facebook. All right. So January 20th, Biden will be sworn in. On January 21st, he will shut down the power grid. He will stop all food shipments, stop all fuel pipelines. He will unleash the Antifa slash BLM mercenaries as well as select CIA assets and most likely unleash bioweapons upon our land. He will occupy the military in two or more foreign wars where he will send our troops and fleets into well-laid traps decimating our military in under two weeks. Surrender to China will happen by end of March 2021. Chinese occupation to begin in April 2021. 80 to 90% of the American population slaughtered. This includes nearly all the leftists. This is exactly what has happened every time the communists take over a country. So in other words, he's going to have a very productive first hundred days in office. Yes. <laughs> I'm red wow. Lot I'd, of say, I'd say that's putting it, putting it lightly. Yeah. But now, yeah. aren't, aren't, these the, aren't these the very people who said that when Obama took office, there'd never be another election? Right. Yeah. That the Marxist had won and then full-blown Marxism would be in play and there'd never be another election ever again. Well. What I talked to all, Adam, yeah. all the inner city people were going to come in and be given our houses. Oh yeah, of course. We would have to move out of our houses because they were going to Obama was going to give them the keys to our houses. What I was talking to Adam about was that, like, I almost feel like in a neutral way, just a decentralization of information, the migration, mass migration of all these different people and a lot of older people to social media really occurred during the Obama administration, just kind of a neutral technological thing that happened and everyone got smartphones and, and, you know, that's when the alternative media as a whole really turned, uh, I think in a lot of ways, uh, dependent on like these right wing narratives. So I almost wonder if some of this also is just these media and technological changes we've seen and, and when they happened during particular administrations. A couple of things I've noticed related to that. I've noticed the old folks around me here um, are the Facebook is their main yeah. source where yeah. they get it. I'm talking yeah. about women, older yes. women. Just like we talked about how the John extreme. Birch Society right. spread all this stuff with housewives. Some of them, I mean, these are church going people that are my neighbors that say the most extreme things because they heard it there. For the younger crowd, what I have found is they don't trust any kind of mainstream journalism, including investigative journalism, the newspapers of record. They hear some stranger on a YouTube video, and that is yeah. the definitive word to them. If someone they've never heard of 
makes a claim and I'll when I when they confront me with it, I'll ask for the source material and they look at me like I've got three heads. Yeah, well, did you actually find that that person actually said that? If they did say it, I want to know. You know, like they claim that they, but no, a stranger on YouTube said it. So any of the groups that a, had a, a, guy, history, a guy with a beard sitting in the back of his truck, just, you know, yell, <laughs> yelling at his or driving the car and holding the phone down while he's driving and just talking extemporaneously. But, you know, you think about the, the, like Washington post, New York times, uh, and even some conservative ones, you know, that have done that have had, um, major breakthroughs on exposés. Uh, you know, I was trash talked about my stuff talking about Jerry Falwell Jr. for forever. And I was reporting on stuff that Politico and Reuters were doing their homework. You can't trust them, Mike. That's 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 communist media. You can't. Well, finally it came out to whatever media they saw, you know, when he finally it all came out true and he was watching his wife have sex and stuff. When when that all finally came out, a few of them said, Oh, well, I guess you had something there. But they refused to believe me because I was quoting, you know, I appreciate uh, like organizations like Mother Jones and others that actually have a legacy of blowing the top off stuff. And, you know, I expect them to have source material. I don't take there's they you know, I want to see something where it act, and, and now for writing books, I'll just keep searching until I find the person they talk about where they actually wrote it themselves you know, their own writing or their website or something like that before I'm satisfied with this by and large. But I find you got the YouTube videos for the, you know, for the young people, you got Facebook for the older ones and we're in bizarro world of craziness. Yeah. It could be great if people had standards, but, but people have totally gone down the conspiracy line so much that if it sounds plausible, and they don't want to believe it. I, I feel like for the normal person, the person that just kind of lives their day-to-day life right now, and especially if you're younger, I feel like all this kind of confusion that is out there, it always makes me think all this stuff makes me think of all along the watchtower. So much confusion, I can't get no relief. Um, I really feel like the, the cognitive dissonance is really what affects a lot of people. So, you know, I see a lot of people go out and still go to restaurants, still pack in restaurants. They don't seem to care. Um, big story that just broke over the weekend in Nashville was oh. Dave Ramsey hosting this big Did party. you see that, Mike? Like no, I didn't people. see that. Well, he's rich, though. The super rich get to do that. Yeah, they invited over 1,500 people, and then they, uh, yeah, some of the vendors... Uh, asked their employees to not wear masks as those would make the attendees uh, uncomfortable. At, should I assume that Dave Ramsey would have been one of those people uncomfortable with the mask? What was yes. his comments? Did they get his comments? Uh, I don't think so. That's quite the, yeah, it's quite a large organization. I don't think he said anything you know. so far. I just thought if the mainstream media in Nashville reported on it. But I think this the I think the cognitive dissonance, the arguments on Facebook, these people that still want to argue about this, still want to deny it. I think that it just for some people, especially of the younger set, normal people that maybe aren't as keyed into a lot of stuff that we're keyed into, they just probably feel like okay, it's okay for me to go out and go to the bar. It's okay for me to go to the restaurant. 
you know? And so that's, so that's, a, so that's an added on effect and it makes us that have like kind of kept our distance and have, have been isolated and have take the, to, so taken the steps to not get this, you know, um, or, or give it to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. It Which makes you feel, thing. it makes you feel like you're going crazy. You're almost like, am I the insane one? If the rest of the world is still doing what it's always been doing, am I crazy? Right. Right. Yeah, because you're really alone and not around kindred spirits. They're trying to be responsible. Basically, what I have seen with people that are going out, like, you know, on the beach and stuff like that in Florida when they were doing all that and they'd interview them, just glassy stares. These people don't have controls of any parts of their life. They're not treating this any different than any other part of their life in which they're doing whatever their instinct tells them that minute, like an animal. And they go with their instinct, and there's never more forethought about what happens 30 minutes from now, much less a year from now. Well, like me and Adam have been talking about also, um, the, the conspiratorial way that we have looked at things with this, these ideas of, of soft kill and that things like, uh, drugs or the, uh, military industrial and prison industrial complex and the poor food choices and uh, impoverished neighborhoods and all these kind of things have been a subject of conspiracy theory for a long time. And this idea that the uh, the rich or upper classes literally want to slowly kill people to get them off of their dependencies. Um, kill, kill, kill the poor. Yeah, and and you know this is this is like popular conceptions of just conspiracy theory that we all grew up with, but uh, now I you know more than I've ever felt in my life, it's like I feel like that is the actual um, articulated program <laughs> of of the ruling elite, you know, especially in you know places like here. Well, I, I'll have to say this: I don't want to give them any pass on what they do. But people are doing a good enough job themselves during COVID. The yeah, rich yeah. people don't even need to pitch in and help. Oh well, yeah, them yeah, because they're making poor choices. But but people who people who have more influence on the narrative, who you know want to do their best to shape it in a way that will lead to these results. You know, they they bear more responsibility. Well, yeah. certainly they do. They got to be examples. Not to mention the foreign inter- interference, which you know. Would love to just in, in, indirectly kill Americans. We know that's going yeah. on. Yeah, right. I, I'm just amazed. I, you know, for Americans, you should never be amazed at the amount of pride and ag- arrogance that they have. Yeah. But I'm just amazed that people are willing to risk their lives because they're too proud to put a piece of cloth on their face and love their neighbor. And their pride and their arrogance, they're willing to risk their lives and everybody else. And these people die in mass. They see them die, and they keep on doing it because it's become it's become political, and it's become wrapped up in like this whole idea of freedom. They think that somehow that stymies them. It's being it's being it's propaganda that's coming from the right. It's propaganda that's coming from other state actors. They want to use all this conspiracy theory, memes, and literatures. Everything that I hear is like, well, we're going into 1984. It's COVID 1984. This is what this is. And, and the, uh, what's, what's the newest thing is the great reset and all this kind of stuff. Like, 
you know, I totally understand where that's coming from because I was in, I'm in that world and I get it, but I also see how that is being manipulated. I, I guess one way to avoid 1984 is to make sure everybody is killed off before it can happen. So maybe there's a perverse logic to their reason. If we make sure we all die of pestilence, well, then they'll uh, have the last laugh over it's, the... It's funny, it's funny, but you know what I brought up with Adam is that if there is some strange, deeper psychological, spiritual elements to this, I feel like there's this idea, this Masada connection to this stuff. There is a weird suicidal thing. When I looked at Masada, you know, almost exactly to the person was the same number of people that died at Masada as died at Jonestown. It's almost to the really? exact number of people, yeah. And both poison themselves rather than give in to the people on the outside. And I think, you know, I've witnessed the formation of a death cult now. It just takes up almost half of our country. But it's it's like a death cult. I mean, how is it any difference when you see people dropping like flies dying and you won't wear a mask or you won't not get a large group of people like the motorcycle gangs that got together and others. You won't do that. And how's that any different than those poor people in Okinawa who were brainwashed by the Japanese that the American GIs would come and eat them and eat their children. And the GIs are with the megaphone saying, no, we're here to save you to save you. And those Okinawans are jumping off the cliffs when their saviors finally got there because oh. of their brainwashing. I feel like that's what people are doing right now with COVID. They're just jumping off the cliff. Yeah. Right at the time, people trying to save their lives. In another analogy that comes from the same period and the same, the the same people, is these these Japanese soldiers that would be uh, that would be that would not surrender for a ridiculous amount of time. Some of them until like the 1970s and even until the 1980s. And there's a story from one of them, the guys that were a couple two it was like three guys that were in the Philippines that refused to. Um, they refused to surrender and they would occasionally come across, I guess, a Filipino newspaper and they would see that like what was going on in the world and they, they couldn't believe it. They would say that they would basically say that like, this is fake news. This is allied propaganda. We don't believe that we don't, we don't believe this. So it was just a reinforcement of everything that they had been basically brainwashed to believe. Right. The whole world was a big, massive Potemkin village to them. You know, the whole world was in on the masquerade, except for them. And, you know, it got so bad. I think I know one of them actually took Thurston Howe the third hostage and and Gilligan and some of the other castaways. <laughs> yeah. You remember that? They no. even they yeah, they even gave him like those big teeth, like on the posters for Japanese with the Coke bottle glasses. Oh yeah, and that was like one of the main people they had to fight was, and they fought him on more than one occasion. Where the Japanese soldier that had all us up, you know, that was all part of the lost bizarre, cause. bizarre narrative. Yeah, lost cause. Yeah, that's just another lost cause, really. Mm -hmm. when, you, when you think about it, you know, still fighting for the the God Emperor because that became their identity. I just kind of was like thinking to myself, I was having a discussion with somebody about like, what would civil war look like now in the United States? And 
I kind of came to the conclusion that what it would look like is something like Northern Ireland. Yeah. That you would have this kind of like low level asymmetric warfare and that occasionally you were going to be somewhere and something was going to blow is going to blow up in front of you, you know, like a low level kind of terrorist insurgency. And I could like Northern Ireland during the troubles. And, and I could see that happening. If, if this group, if this group becomes more and more desperate, they may resort to things like that. They may resort to forming groups like the orange men and the, and the real IRA and those type of things could happen. And and those, a lot of those groups like the orange men would march as provocateurs because they were trying to initiate a rumble. And I, I, when I was over there, Mrs. Future and I were over in Northern Ireland. She was given a paper. We were there the same time Bill and Hillary were when it was the UMA bombing had just happened and it had just come out about, um, um, the dress, the dress issue. And so the whole world press was watching, how were they going to react? You know, but when I was there, I went through the neighborhoods there in Belfast and you could see the, the curbs painted either red, white, and blue for a Protestant neighborhood right. or a green, white, and orange on the curb for the Catholic. And right. if you were the other, you didn't go through that neighborhood. You didn't walk through that. I mean, I know we've had that yeah. to some extent in New York city in the past with the gangs and stuff, but in this, that was serious business that you yeah. didn't get in. And I, uh, I'm afraid I'm going to be probably already, already in my wrong neighborhood here, but you know, I, um, I was walking, uh, Mrs. Future and I were walking up the hill in our neighborhood and found a really, really sweet woman, very active Christian in our local church down the street, very active in discipling and doing good stuff on TV, very perky, uh, does TV hosting and stuff like that. You know, just sweet hostess. And she was happened to bring up something about the, uh, at the time there was the marches, uh, for black lives matter after, uh, George Floyd. And she says, you know, she says, you know, I won't come up here, you know, with her smile or just very nice smile. She said, because we've got enough guns up here. She, she says, we've got enough guns to take care of this. And she just said it was just such a lighthearted perkiness. Like, I just can't wait. Yeah. We're going to show them the guns we have. And I've, I've seen this dark side emerge from, is... these, from these people that is just like they have been in, in our midst. It's like you put on the sunglasses in that movie, They Live, you know? Mm-hmm. And you're seeing this this id now out of people becoming the superego of what's normative, you know, yeah. for our culture. And it's happened. I mean, it's always been there. It's been latent. Yeah. But now in this in five years' time, it has become accepted. And yeah. and something else, the, the Trump emboldened it. Yeah, yeah the main the main Yeah, the mainstream conservative media, the Rush Limbaugh's and the Glenn Beck's used to just sort of toy with it a little bit. They mostly oh, just yeah. talked about the godly heritage of America and the Puritans and the founding fathers, and they would toy with it a little bit and smirk. I've just recently started listening to them, and they're as hardcore as anything you'd hear Stephen Miller or Bannon or any of these other guys do. They have gotten 10 times darker, including talking about civil war. You know, uh, Rush was talking about secession the other day, about states seceding. Um, and so there, there's no sort of main right anymore. Yeah. Do you, do you think it's that much different than 
some of the extremes of the 90s. I, I almost feel like all of us were a lot more innocent at that time, um, everyone in this conversation, and that it was harder to really feel the pulse of that. Well, but, in the mid until 96, all you basically had was Rush. Yeah. You know, before that, you had uh, the firing line with... Uh, but the extreme elements, though, you know, did they... Were they really more of the population? You had the uh, John Birch Society, which eventually got to be sort of a mockery. You know, they kept up trying to fight the hippies in the 60s and the yeah. civil rights movement. But they had their biggest heyday at the 64 uh, election behind, uh, yeah. you know, getting uh, what's his name there? Goldwater. The Republican Goldwater. Goldwater. But then that died down. And so... Um, William F. Buckley, who I was trying to mention, you, yeah. you got more of the intellectual, more pro-big business side of the Rockefeller side was preeminent in the 70s. Yeah. And so then you had Rush Limbaugh come along and make it more populist kind of thing. But he did it with wit. And, you know, there was much to laugh about with Bill Clinton. There was a whole lot to laugh about. Well, you also got to put in... Um the campaign for the first, the manager for the first Bush who was responsible for the Willie Horton. Yeah. 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 Lee Atwater. R R Lee Atwater. Yeah. I mean, you got it. I mean, he was pretty, he was pretty pivotal when there's dirty tricks. I mean, there was dirty tricks, particularly during the Nixon time, you know, Don Segretti and these guys, but, but, but mostly you just had rush reaching the, the masses apart from William F. Buckley. Yeah. But then when Fox news came along, you in mass had all this large pantheon of people, you know, and they're the ones who made, uh, uh, what's his name? A star Hannity, Sean Hannity, and all of these at Laura Ingram and others, uh, who it became a factory. And so then they had to compete by outdoing each other. And then you had a wild card like Matt Drudge who found that new medium, the internet. And, you know, just like they had found cable news, the way to do hard extremism, Rush had found radio, talk radio, you know, and saved the AM dial probably by doing hard talk extremes. I mean, good luck finding other anything other than hard right on the radio dial and talk. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it you're not, you're, but, yeah, you're, but, you're not going to do it. Yeah, yeah, but they tried with Air America, but that never really took off. Right, never, because you're not going to have big corporate stuff behind it. You know, other than Soros and a few guys in Silicon Valley, you're not going to have anything. But uh, George but, Soros, I ben knew and it. Jerry's, I, I knew, knew it. it. You knew he'd have <laughs> to come it. up, you know. But the, um, but but Matt Drudge has been interesting to watch because Matt Drudge will seem like to be pretty hardcore supporter of Trump at the beginning of his campaign, maybe because he always has sympathies for dark horses and he supported him. But the last half of the uh, term of Trump, particularly as the impeachment hearings got going on, he made a turn. And now I hear these same conservative people now just revile Matt Drudge. Because he's having, you know, he's putting out more of this stuff that's being exposed. And now the big thing is, is what's going to happen to Fox News. You, you know, it's it's funny that my pillow guy, Mike Lindell, he just came out in the last few days and said that that Fox News was part of the conspiracy against Trump, that they had been in on the fix about all oh, of the fake voting yeah. ballots. And he said that Fox News was. And the day after he saw it, I turned on Fox News, and there, there, he's running his commercials on Fox News. 
Mm-hmm. So I guess he doesn't, even though they they are part of a conspiracy treachery trader, he doesn't mind making money selling with his commercials on their channel. Right. Which is what really talks is money. They're all transactional. It's not just Donald Trump being transactional. They all are. Yeah. He's just, he's just upfront about it, which is the way Trump is about everything. He just puts it all out there because he knows the American public are so gullible yeah. and are so subject to their base passions that he can do it in telegraphic and there's nothing they're going to do to change it. The other guys uh, think, Oh, I got to be subtle. Yeah. Something I want to ask you, Mike, is that you don't, you don't come from this kind of eighties uh, left wing culture as much as me and Adam. So, so the thing is, don't you feel like this, um, the right wing has pivoted itself to be this this more oppositional alternative thing almost in the same way that that was a left wing in the 80s uh boy i don't know how to compare the two i mean two talking about where i was 2002 december yeah. i'm outside the window of fox and friends waving at everybody on fox and friends <laughs> that would be know, different that's what me. i had on when the twin towers happened you know um, I voted for Bush in 2000 and 2004. Yeah, I never did and that. And it wasn't start doing, <laughs> well, I mean, that's my baggage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and it wasn't until doing Future Quake and starting talking to a different circle of people and having to read books and having to go look up history that I started having some real questions of what I hadn't been told. And so what what I will find is is, again, I'm not trying to endorse a left or whatever. I just... Yeah, I don't no. know. I have a certain set of basic values for my Christian faith, and that sort of dictates, you know, my view of things, including the golden rule for people who don't yeah. agree with me. But but what I will say is that my exposure more to people more on that side is that they tend to read books more. They tend to be more conversant on history. Mm-hmm. And I find these people like the swallow David Barton from my old Christian world and the absurd, laughable version of history that he presents it's yeah. just so willfully uninformed <laughs> intentionally willfully uninformed you know mike huckabee turned out some kind of the crudest video animation <laughs> i've ever seen and i showed one of these discs to adam where the enemy was a university professor which was the <laughs> ultimate enemy for these children who had a ponytail and so they would actually, they could go through history. They, they had like some time machine. It was almost yes. like they were doing sorcery to go through history. Yeah. yeah. And they found that, you know, Mike Huckabee, David Barton's version of the founding fathers was what they really found. And guys like this university professor socialist was the main enemy. Did. And it was like the, it's like the, the animation was just terrible. It's just like crude, like st- they were almost stick figures. The know? only thing worse was the narrative. And, 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 and so this is, you know, this is what I'm seeing now is uh, what my culture has become. And I just feel like a man without a country. I don't, I don't relate to that wow. culture anymore. I can't even really, start with a common set of values anymore, much less like a certain base narrative of, well, we know these things are true. You're not without a country though, doc. I mean, you know, we, uh, if anything is to be said for the ideals, you know, it is, is coming from a place of, um, constantly improving and trying to realize an ideal. And so 
you know any anyone who who sees that you know will will be able to see through all these different um you know things being pushed and all these information wars going on so crazy thing i find is those people aren't always of my heritage or my religious tradition or my you know political heritage or whatever i'm finding all these people that are very very different than me but they have the same commitment i have to trying to figure out what's going on the new people i meet who are very different than me and but i find i have more in common than i was told i didn't have with them right that started with future quake that started i met a bunch of long-haired hippies down there and radicals (laughs) and what i found out was that they were great people you know the that's the thing is that like you have you have a new audience on this show. I, I every time I have you on, people always enjoy having you on, and they're always want to want to get the books and they want to know more from you, and they're always really yeah. intrigued by the conspiracy. Normal people really love you, Mike. Uh, they're an encouragement to me and a bright light in an otherwise sort of sea of darkness I see out there. Because I sure wish they would adopt me because I have been dropped at the curb by the people of my culture and I'm estranged from them and I need to be able to hang out with somebody. So yeah. I would appreciate if, and I'll, I'll try not to get too preachy or too religiously, or, I mean, I still believe what I believe, you know, yeah, I still right. believe in Jesus, much, but I also believe in the truth. And I, yep. you know, if, if something is counter the truth, then I'm just going to have to change what I believe if it's not true. Well, and I need other people to teach me what's true, but I appreciate the people and the friends I've made, you know, the guys like Mr. Jacobs and uh, Recluse, and I could go on and on with a whole bunch of guys, you know, that are just quality people. And I'm I'm privileged that they would consider me a friend. I have to wonder, Mike, if the tide is is going to turn is going to start turning just a little bit. I mean, I I saw a couple of days ago that it was a Beth Moore who's pretty high up in the Southern Baptist uh, Convention. Well, she's not technically part of it, but she is a mega, mega DVD and bookseller. Yeah. Well, she, she, she came out against Trumpism said, you know, this needs to stop, you know. And another point that I want to make is these people that are posting these things now, um, they're just like the prophecy people. They need to be held accountable because when the spoke clears, when this is over and it is going to be over, these things are not, COVID is not going to last forever. Um, yeah. When the smoke clears, it's just like, you know, you're going to have several people out there says, I never said that. I never posted that. Those people need to be held. They need to be held accountable. All right. And the whole lot of them, whether they're like the Christian crowd, the non-Christian crowd, all of them, oh, we'll never have another election again. They're going to arrest everybody as soon as this is over, you know, um, all That's of right. these claims. And they'll pretend, you know, they might not even be, they'll usually never confronted over what they said. It's just everybody stays on the hush hush about it and they move on to the next conspiracy and nobody ever does a year in review. How many people say, okay, we made all these claims. Let's see. How did they come out this year? You're not going to see that. And this person that wrote this, um, this thing that I read to you just a little bit ago, you know, they only, the Chinese occupation is going to begin in April. That's not that far away. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. 
you need you know what you need to get them booked on your show now for a late <laughs> April date. You need them yeah. get them booked on that. If I had still been doing Future Quake, I want. Well, I don't know who it is. It's, it's crossed out actually who it is. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be like that guy that stood in front of those tanks. You remember in China? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I'm gonna be that yeah. guy with a garbage bag standing in front. Yeah, but but these people they need to be brought forward, and you know the Christian people I see all. I mean they're all still saying I've, there's prophets that have had a vision that Trump is gonna still be taking the oath of office on January 20th, oh, and yeah. they have staked their whole reputation. How many people are gonna have them on January 21st to talk about that? Right. It's just not going to happen. It isn't. No one's, no one's going to hold, hold them accountable. I, I want to see you all do it. I'll give you a list of names of people I can find because I've been trying to save some of the stuff. The Blood Moon Rapture stuff. Boy, that was definitely going to happen. You know, Mark Biltz and all these other guys. Whoever asked him about that anymore? Yeah. And, you know, the guy that said that there was going to be the um, nuclear bomb go off in Nashville last year. Remember that? Oh, yeah. That's right. I for, I totally forgot about that. July. Yeah, 18th. the billboards. Yeah, yeah the billboards yeah. were all over Nashville. Nobody has said a word. Be a great it's... public service for people to follow up with. I went to that guy's YouTube site. I finally found out who it was, and they had all sorts of really cool videos. But I haven't been out since the 18th. They haven't posted anything new since then. Yeah, of course not. Those things usually take a couple years to build up. You know. Yeah. yeah, well, you think about the Christian publisher that has Zenith 2012. When the Hall of Records underneath the Washington Monument, you know, the testes of the Washington Monument were going to open, uh, all these other things that were going to happen on those other dates, you know? Anybody reviewing those books? Nope. Yeah. But they're bestsellers. They're bestsellers. Well, I mean, you see the same thing in the the UFO community all the time. Disclosure is supposed to happen this year. They'll usually say something like, "Oh, it 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 just it, it really did happen, but you just weren't paying attention." I mean, these will be the type these will be the type of excuses that are that are made, and they wonder, and then they wonder why people are skeptical of them. Yeah, what they'll say about Trump is they'll say, "Well, in heaven, he really is recognized as the oh, president." Oh, okay, okay. Right. Okay. In heaven, right. that's that they had a formal induction ceremony in heaven. Well, here's here's the other thing, Mike. Just Christianity alone, just like think of the damage these people do. This is what breaks my heart, and this is why in my book I write about this. You know, I was raised one of them, born again, soul winning Christians. Okay, had the altar call at the end of the service. You go share your faith. You don't just like born into it where you get baptized as a baby and you're raised. You actually have a adult decision to do this. And, you know, we used to go out and talk to people. They're strangers and share it. Now, who's going to want to listen? And there's yeah. nothing wrong with the message. There's nothing about wrong with what Jesus said. I mean, that's all good stuff that everybody likes. But the fact is, these people have become such buttholes. And how they hate all of these people we were supposed to go out and talk to. Minorities, women, people of different, you know, ethnicities, refugees, immigrants, different sexual orientations, on and on. They have made themselves enemies of all these people and wanting to do them harm. And then they're surprised that they don't want to hear their spiritual message. Yep. It, it makes me want to tear my clothes in grief. Yep. Because a that's what I was believed. Amen, I, brother. 
I mean, I still believe this utopian belief to rescue the perishing, you know, and, and care for the people, be fishers of men. This is what I was shown to do. And I always felt like I had a good message that would liberate people and would set them free and give them the good news. That's what it was called, the good news. And so now what they've been said is the people who are the conspicuous people who are on the mass media and get the big dollars on there. Yeah. All they do is say, I hate you. I hate who you are. And I'm going to even put words in your mouth and tell how despicable and, and how rotten you are from the beginning. And they say it to all these people that we're supposed to reach out to. So now how am I supposed to go to talk to those people and say, Oh yes, I'm a Christian and I've got a good word for you. No matter how sincere I am. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what's going to build it. I really think from just just talking to spiritually here, I really think the scenario we're in is sort of like with the story of Gideon in the Bible. When they had this, I know a few thousand soldiers, they were still outnumbered against the Midianites, but they picked up an army and God told Gideon to go down to the water and have him get some water. And like, Almost all of them just stuck their head down in the water, started lapping it up. And there was 300 of them that would carefully reach down, put some water in their palms and their hands and cup it and drink while they're looking around. And God said, send everybody, all those other people home and keep those 300. And Gideon was like, well, you know, we were already grossly outnumbered. How are we going to do a 300? He's like, keep those people. And so God is not. You know, he's not willing that he should perish, but he's not into just overwhelming numbers. He wants quantity or quality over quantity. Right. And so I think with a lot of these people in church here in the Bible Belt, where like so many, the large portion of people go to church. I think a lot of those people are going to be like those ones who just threw their head in the water, lapping it up and aren't the circumspect people who are looking around, seeing what's going on, being mindful about stuff. He would rather have a handful of those people than all of these other impulsive, impetuous people who, you know, aren't worth anything, to be honest, for the mission. Yeah. And so I think he's getting rid of those and he's getting ready to send them all home. And they haven't even gotten the word yet. They don't even know because they still got a lot of money left in their churches and they haven't gotten the word that, you know, it's like what was written in one of these old stories when God was really upset at the children of Israel for their bad stuff. Somebody said, you need to put over this th- over this uh, wall, you know, Ichabod. And it means the glory of God has departed this place. Yeah. And I think that's what's going to happen to the majority of these people. They're going to be, at least in heaven, have Ichabod written where their time has come and gone and they just didn't get the memo. Whew. I mean, we've been talking about this for a long time, long time, Mike. And, you know, we could see, I don't know if we could see just how bad it, it, it was going to get. But even people that we were around in, in that time period, even they have just like bought into all this. Mentors, yeah. mentors that you and I have, have it. People we really admired, looked up to people who we spent all of our days with have gone and are unrepentant. You can't reason. You, you know, I had hoped my book for all the energy I put into it could help with some of them. Most of them are too far gone. They just, you cannot reason. You can't, you can't even appeal to the tenderness of their heart, their sense of decency, their character, you know, the golden rule. None of that carries any water anymore with these people. Yeah. And I, I, I better not hear them, any of them quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yeah. Right. 
<laughs> right. When he was fighting the movements in the church that looked just like them. Yeah. You know, the German patriotic church that he was resisting. Um, you know, they were behind the guy that made Germany great again. That's who they were behind. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> they had their national flags in their churches, you know, and hey, they, they built the Autobahn, you know, right. Made the trains run on time too. You know, <laughs> what could be wrong with him? And then yeah. you had a minority of believers and they'll wrap themselves in Bonhoeffer. Like people wrap themselves in a flag, but they, they don't even get him. They don't mm-hmm. even know what he was all about. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what they're going to claim. They're going, Oh, and, and you know, what's going to happen is, when the chickens come home to roost with them and people get tired, they're going to say, oh, it's Christian persecution. Yes. It's just Christian. They hate me because of Jesus is why they hate me. Well, and it's know, like, well, no, they hate you because you're not like Jesus. Eric Metaxas wrote a whole book about Bonhoeffer, you know, and he was just at that Jericho rally that was like supporting Trump, uh, basically, basically saying Trump should just subvert the Constitution. You know, and it's like, does he not see any cognitive dissonance? Does he like not, does he go to, I mean, he, I mean, it's like, it's almost, you think just like, does he see it? Maybe he does see it, but he's just so trapped in this world and that he's still got to just keep all these people happy because he's making money off of it. You get a glassy stare in response when you point that out. You know, it's the prophets in Israel had that same problem. People would say, wow. We worship at the temple. We, we're temple worshipers. Jehovah's got to be happy with this. Meanwhile, they've got Baal, and they've got you know these other gods in the temple grounds. So, well, except for little things like that, why that? Why, why would God be upset at us? We're we're coming and doing sacrifices every year, and and things don't change. And that's where prophets often they are not sent because they're going to be really really successful. They sort of are pronouncing judgment. And there may be a remnant that turns around, but mostly it's there for judgment because the people won't hear. And it is total cognitive dissonance. You know, like, uh, you know, the, the one of the rare times I ever confronted somebody on Future Quake, you remember, is when I had the head of World Net Daily on. <laughs> yeah. You know, making all these wonderful statements, Christian this, Christian that, and all these great statements. And I mentioned about, you know, Guantanamo Bay and all the things he'd said there and, you know, and how... The people who were in the know, like Andrew Napolitano and Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson, who'd both been there and stated on our show, they were told that only about two dozen of the people there, of the seven or 800 people, were actually guilty of doing something against America. The rest of them were just picked up when they picked the whole village up and picked mm-hmm. everybody in there. And then they had tortured them all, so they couldn't let them go. And I, I asked him as a Christian, should we have any concern about those people and their well-being of the innocent people? And, you know, his response was, I'm not going to lose any sleep over that if there's innocent people there. Yep. And he in had other, no self-reflection to say how horrible what it was I just said. In other words, kill them all. God will know his own. God will know his <laughs> own. Right. Exactly right. But, you know, there's always been a resistance. You know, that's what uh, St. Francis of Assisi had to do. His, his family were basically war profiteers. They were part of the defense department for the uh, crusades and he was sent off and fought in the crusades and he was groomed for, you know, a position in the church with all the trappings and the ornate stuff or to take over the business. And 
he didn't want any part of it after he'd come back and seen the horrors of those wars. And uh, they said, well, you can't have these, uh, you know, all these ornate trappings and the fancy hats and everything if you're not going to go along with the system. And he said, fine. So he threw them all off in front of everybody in the town and walked out butt naked. And I'd like to see more people do that. Just walk out butt naked. And they leave leave their podcast behind or their big audiences behind that they have built, you know, pandering this stuff or all of these other relationships that made them insiders and just us collectively all walk out butt naked. So you can have it all. I'm going to take a picture of that, me doing it and send it up. You can put it on the conspiracy normal. <laughs> <laughs> can I give you a little tidbit to close yes. out? Uh, first yeah. of all, did, did you get any feedback on my talk at the strange realities conference? Yeah. A lot. A lot. Was it a lot positive? of people? A lot of people talked about it. We, you know, they talked about it positively. And uh, when we had our little um, on Sunday night, when we did our second little uh, hangout, we, we, we spent at least about 30 minutes talking about it. Well, um, thank you. Um, I was just wondering about what they thought about, you know, the other characters I brought into the discussion, like Willis Harmon and some of the other people and the Bohemian Grove connection to J. Howard Pugh and things like that. Um, the reason why I mentioned this is that because I started getting into that, I'm writing a great big chapter in volume two. I'm supplementing it with the rest of the stuff I found on Pew. And I'm supposed to find out this week. Uh, I'm not giving my hopes up, but if I can possibly get a little micro grant, which is nothing than basically travel expenses to go to the Hagley museum where all of Pew's papers are, yeah. uh, maybe this spring in Wilmington, Delaware, and actually get my hands on the original documents but in doing this research and the books I got on Willis Carto of Liberty Lobby and these other guys, I got a massive book called General Walker and the Murder of President Kennedy, the Extensive New Evidence of a Radical Right Conspiracy by a Jeffrey Caulfield, M.D. Wow. And this book is a thousand pages. He has probably like 5,000 references he interviewed all these figures, and he makes an assertion. I know people have a whole bunch of different theories about it. I never got too deep in it because it's a morass on the Kennedy yeah. thing. They all have their own pet theories, and they don't believe anybody else's. But he makes a pitch, and I think he, from my glance into it, makes a compelling case that this General Walker, who I talk about in Volume 1 of my book, Two Masters and Two Gospels, and Billy James Hargis, and those circle um, – were part of a potential cabal to take out Kennedy. And he's got some very impressive information where they basically admit to it. And General Walker was the guy who supposedly uh, Lee Harvey Oswald shot at in his house right around, you know, not long from the assassination time. Right. But um, he has a whole chapter on something I brought up in my talk. I've discovered. I don't know if you all remember when I was talking about the Congress of Freedom and the FBI files on it. And I found out, well, first of all, the guy who we outed as RC Christian attended their first meeting in Omaha. Herbert Kirsten was, was there in the records. And then in 63, they were meeting in new Orleans in April. And in the FBI records I had, it talked about them planning to assassinate the top government officials to keep us from getting involved in the UN and things like that. And I, I, you know, found what little they had there because they had informants for the FBI there. He has an entire chapter on that one meeting of the Congress of Freedom. 
and tons of other information like that that I'm just starting to go through for my book. But he called me last night, really late at night. He called me from Ohio and he's, you know, a good bit older than me. Um, And we talk for forever. And I hope you didn't mind me as an uh, advocate for your show. But I told him that I thought he'd be a great guest for your show. And he seemed amenable to it. Nice. Good. So I don't know if Absolutely. anybody else would be interested in hearing yeah. him. He seems like incredibly credible work that he's done. Everybody will always dispute alternative theories, but all of the characters like Billy James Hargis and other people I wrote about in my book, um, he gives much more detail about what they were involved. And, you know, Hargis, I mentioned the FBI implicated him in the little rock bombings. And here he was the top Christian media official. And then you had uh, him and, uh, General Walker doing that Operation Midnight Ride where they showed up in Dallas right before Kennedy and had posters with bullseyes on his head and stuff like that. And Walker was arrested because of another skirmish there at the University of Mississippi where they accused him of sedition. But you see what happened was General Walker was relieved of command in Europe because he was teaching John Birch Society materials to all of the troops in Europe. And... Uh, President Kennedy relieved him of command there, and he publicly stated that he did not acknowledge the presidency of President Kennedy. And that that's just the stuff I quote in my book. Um, and then he got into these real hard right things where they were going to run him for president and things like that. And um, there's some interesting reasons why the people who his cabal, he suggests, had reasons to t- take him out. So I just thought it would add to your all's discussion. Yeah, I think it'd be great. It'd be great. He gave me a tidbit last night. I didn't know. You know, I I talked about uh, uh, Willis Carto in the Liberty Lobby in my yeah. presentation for Strange Realities and Liberty Liberty Lobby. You know, uh, I have J uh, J Howard Pugh funding. I got his funding letters where he was giving money to this, and he got big into Holocaust denial and into you know all of the anti-Semite stuff and white supremacy was working with uh, uh, Rockwell and the American Nazi party and had Nazi flags up in their office and things. Well, he told me that when Timothy McVeigh was arrested, the way that they found Timothy McVeigh after the Oklahoma city bombing to arrest him was they traced one of these little credit cards used to get for phones before we all had regular cell phones with unlimited minutes. You'd get a little card where you could do long distance on it for yeah. X number of cents a minute. He had one from the Liberty lobby. He was using the Liberty lobby, long distance phone call. And that's what they traced to find Timothy McVeigh. No shit. Interesting mm. tidbit. I thought. Interesting. Well, Mike, thank you so much for doing this as always. Um, please tell everybody where they can find your books, your book, well, thank you. Um, the This current one out is called Two Masters and Two Gospels, Volume 1, The Teaching of Jesus versus the Leaven of the Pharisees and Talk Radio and Cable News. I'd really appreciate people to get it. If you're trying to talk to your family members that are hardcore Trumpites and they're religious and you have a hard time patiently giving them arguments on why they're betraying their own faith, uh, this book actually documents all that. And so you don't even have to have an argument with them. All you have to do is give them a book and they can yell at the book all they want, but they're not going to get much luck yelling at a book. 
And so that you don't, they don't have to get in your grill and do it. So I just recommend people, if they want to do that, if they want to learn how people, how the whole Trump phenomena was, was readied to be able to make people ready to accept it, this book gets into the history of it and how it happened. And if you give it to these other folk, they're going to have a, quite a come to Jesus meeting, I think, if they read these books. So I hope you all might consider that for your relatives or others. But it's at, it's at Amazon. It's at Barnes & Noble. Uh, Amazon has Kindle and paperback. There's paperback, EPUB version like Nook at Barnes and Noble and even hardcover. Yeah. Uh, and then Kobo has it, Walmart. If you go to bookbaby.com and put in the title, Two Masters and Two Gospels, and you, they'll, they'll sell you all three ebooks for one price. And I will, you leave your email, I'll send you another little writing gift. So thanks for letting me do the plug. Really appreciate people doing it. I'm hearing people that are writing silly stuff and just selling books like there's no tomorrow. And people like me, like this guy that I just cited or my books who try to pour years and years of research into stuff, not many of those books move because people don't have the patience to set and invest the time to try to learn. It's very ephemeral or very short-term transient, like the way the internet is. And I appreciate people making an investment to look at a book. They'd rather read Heaven is for Real or books about um, heaven being made, uh, the, the the rivers in heaven, rivers in jello, and, and cows driving cars. Yeah, uh, trucks. Oh, come on. Don't be silly to driving tractors, the cows. Oh, yes. From cat car. That's what she saw in heaven. And she's still very active. I mean, she's still speaking up and, and surprisingly pro-Trump. I know that's surprising, but... Uh, she's seeing victory for Trump right now, but those books fly off the shelves and other stuff, but this kind of research stuff, if it's not conspiracy, normal people buying it, nobody's buying it, to be honest with you. Uh, if you forget where to find it, just go to mikebennettbooks.com. That's two N's, two T's, or go listen to some shows at future quake or my blog, two spies report, S P I E S two spies report.wordpress.com. And, and there's guys, like a- thank you for being a friend too. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for always for like closing yes, out the year with us. And uh, we'll go ahead and close that. Just stay with us. We're going to go ahead and close out the show now since we're over three <laughs> hours at this point. Um, guys, thank you. It's been uh, interesting. I don't know if I'll say great, but it's been an interesting 2020. We still have our year in review show coming up. So look forward to that as well. Uh, but this is like that's technically the last episode of 2020. So we want everybody to stay safe out there, stay healthy. Um, and also, guys, if you want to help us out here pretty soon, we're going to have new Patreon tiers and stuff that we'll be announcing probably within the next few days of this being posted. So, all right, uh, that's conspiracy. That's uh, patreon.com slash conspiranormal. No, thanks a lot, Mike, for coming on. I think we uh, ended the year pretty strong here. Absolutely. Brother, thank you. And I'm going to offer that picture of me walking out naked like St. Francis for the Patreon. <laughs> I don't know what tier you that, want That's going to gonna be it. the $100 level. Yeah, that's okay. $100 or more right there. <laughs> okay. And I'm going to be walking towards the camera. <laughs> Join us as we welcome in 2021 next time on... Conspiracy.
the show, please consider becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com slash conspiranormal or leave a one-time donation at conspiranormal.com. And please check out our YouTube channel, Conspiranormal Podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.